I feel like Snowpiercer is a lot more like Jesus. Either you're going to love it or you're going to hate it. You're probably gonna, not going to get a lot of three stars. That should go on the DVD case. <laughs> I may have to make that the opening clip, even though it's not part of the part of the film. I, I don't know. Uh, part of the show. So we'll see. <laughs> Please. That was great. What is up, y'all? This is episode 98 of the Movie Bite Podcast. We're going to talk up some movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and more. We're recording on Monday, June the 21st, 2014. I am TJ, your host, and breaking through the snow and ice to join us. We're bringing you three additional hosts besides myself. Joe Darnell. Hello, Joe. Hey, TJ. And Good evening. Good evening to you. And Clark Douglas. Howdy. Hi, Clark. How are you? I'm well, and you? Uh, doing pretty good. And also joining us, just, uh, all right, I had to bring him on. He pestered. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It is Mikey Fizzle. What's up, Fizz? I, th- I mean, hey. that does sound right. I know you were trying to, like, you know, <laughs> soften the blow, but really, I, I, I know that I pestered you to get back on this show, so. No, I think actually I pestered you to get you back on the show. And, and uh, yeah, this is a rare occurrence. We've had four on the show uh, at a time before, but it is a rare occurrence. This is the maximum capacity that I'm able to bring on uh, unless somebody were to join me at my actual studio location. Uh, this is the maximum capacity I can bring on via Skype with my current setup. Yes, this is a very crowded Skype chat. So, like, give me some more Elbroom guys. I was going to say, somebody's throughput's all up on me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we do have a little bit of follow-up. Uh, Joe, how is the car? Uh, it is doing much better, TJ. It actually broke down just, what, about like 50 minutes before we started podcasting last oh, week, so it was, I couldn't it was, be on. It was like 30 or 45, because I was actually still driving home, and I was running a little bit late, and you called me frantically, and you're like, oh, I can't make it. There was much weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah, I was just 10 minutes away from home, and it broke down, and it delayed me about two hours. So I was getting home actually around the same time that y'all were wrapping up. Yeah. And... Yeah, it was a, it was a good podcast with or without me. It was okay. Listen I, I'll to listen it to then. you guys later. Right, and you know, right. Clark had some good points. <laughs> uh, Very right. strategically said. <laughs> <laughs> he had some good points. We kind of know where you fall on 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 the issues. So. Uh-huh. All right. Well, this is the uh, as we like to say the Star Wars bite or the Star Wars show. We always have to talk about Star Wars news as it comes up. Do we not? And so uh, the news we have here today is that supposedly some uh, plot details have leaked, according to Badass Digest. Um, Devin uh, Farachi over there, Farachi, I don't know how you say Farachi. Farachi, there you go. Um, I am so bad with names. It's, it's like I shouldn't <laughs> even be doing a show because I can't say anybody's name right. Um, so De- uh, Devin Farachi, in my newfound pronunciation guide here, uh, has, has uh, talked about some uh, possible Star Wars Episode Seven plot details if you don't want these possible spoilers, you may want to uh, tune turn out, off the program right now. Turn off the program. Come back to, to us in about uh, oh, I don't know, two or three minutes. I, mm. I, or years, really? I'm not because too, you know we gotta wait till the movie comes out. Yeah, I, like I say I'll be right back, guys. I'm not too worried about it though, because I don't feel like this is, has an ounce of truth to it. I, I feel like this is re- crazy, retarded. Did it, did any of you guys read this? I did. Joe. I'm not no no. You remember our conversation about Star Wars Buzz two weeks ago? I don't. I'm not I, interested in this at all. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe- I mean, like, I I appreciate that other people enjoy d- discussing Star Wars all the time, but I mean, come on, people, it's well, way too early, and we know J.J. Abrams wouldn't let the cat out of the bag before a teaser trailer, even. I mean, I, I know that. Mm. Uh, I, hmm, yeah, I don't know about that, Joe. <laughs> Th- things leak. Um, 
you know, some of us have websites to run here, so we have to read these sorts of things. <laughs> mm. TJ's all about the clicks, man. He's all about the clicks. <laughs> just bring them to me, whatever it takes. That's why his headlines are always so shocking. Yeah, exactly. You know? I know, always the Kardashians everywhere. Yep. Kardashians? What, the ones with the ridged foreheads? I mean, exactly. That's exactly what I said, yes, the Kardashians. It's like it's Harry Potter and the Kardashian crossover, <laughs> and I'm, I'm clicking on it, and it's really just a story What has Star happened? Wars. Is this the show? <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. Yep. Um, okay, so maybe we won't spoil the details because I've got two people here that don't want to hear about this. Let, let's just say that Wait, I think this is. Can I, can I, am I three or am I two? You were you and Joe don't want to hear okay, about this. Okay. Clark and I, Clark and I have already uh, read this, and and I think it's we can talk about it in vague terms, Clark. Uh, I, I think yeah. this is completely ridiculous. What do you think? Yeah, uh, it's it's a, a silly premise i'll say that much um and because of that i kind of tend to agree with you i'm not 100 percent convinced this is real at the same time uh simply due to the fact that devin farachi is the one reporting this he's generally a pretty reliable source he's not the sort of guy who just kind of throws out misinformation on a regular basis sure. so on that's the only thing that digest. sort of give me, gives me pause here <laughs> yeah um you know, and maybe maybe he like got a copy of an early script or something because like you can see where maybe they could refine this in in five or six or ten versions and and come up with something maybe supposedly, but but I just feel like if this is the final script, we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, and and I don't know, and you know, if um, Star Trek Into Darkness is any indication, what'll happen is J.J. Abrams will repeatedly deny that this is true, and then it'll actually turn out to be true, and he'll go, ah, oh well. Oh, right. Well, until so. until J.J. Abrams <laughs> denies it, I, I'm going to say it's false. Like if he starts denying it, I'm going to get really scared. <laughs> That's true. Is are you going to bother to check into the rumors mill before the film comes out or during the the trailer season or anything like that? Well, see, that's the thing. I know that just because the internet, I'm going to see things that I don't want to see. So like, I don't want to, I don't want to just completely pretend like it's not going to happen, but I'm going to take everything with a grain of salt. I'm not going to actively seek it out. And much like uh, TJ and I talked trailers a couple episodes back, I will watch the first trailer that's all I really want to watch. I'm not going to watch anything else. I want to know as little as possible when I walk into the new Star Wars. I don't want anything in my mind that could make me think that it's going to be as bad as the prequels. I don't want to wonder if J.J. Abrams is going to over lens flare it. I just want to be able to dream in my nice, content, <laughs> quiet way that I'm going to enjoy a Star Wars film at the end of next year, right? No, in 2016. Yeah. So did, did you guys uh, did any of you see that thing I posted on spoilers uh, from uh, the the, uh, the, uh, the honest trailers guys? Um, what's the name of that production the thing behind it? Well, anyway, <laughs> is it how, I, how it should have ended? <laughs> no, let's see. It, uh, what's what is that guy's name that that runs that? Uh, how how uh, the, Red, dentist, the, the dishonest people behind honest trailers. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Hal Rudnick. I want it to be that. Um. Yeah. How is it pertinent know? to the story? Screen junkies. Yes. No. I mean, because he he uh, he did. <laughs> is a, it pertinent a, to this podcast? Uh, yes, it is. That's why I'm talking about it. Um, he did a thing on uh on uh spoilers, you know, and he had a few other guests on. They talked about when it was appropriate to spoil stuff, and you know, you you wait one week or two weeks for TV shows. What's appropriate for movies? What's the etiquette? I thought it was really good. It just it kind of you know you talking about it, Fizz, kind of reminded me of it. So. Have you not have you not uh, seen that really uh, lengthy article on like do people really not like spoilers that was floating around a couple weeks ago? 
I only kind of perused it because it really was so long, but it shows all this data of like uh, instances of people who say they don't like spoilers, but then they actively seek it out. And like, did it actually make them enjoy the move or the movie or the TV show any less? And in most cases, even though people say they don't like it, it's proven that spoilers don't actually ruin people's enjoyment of it. If they actually, you know, we're going to like it. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Begin with. And that's the thing for me. Like I, I don't find that spoil. I, I try to avoid them to an extent, but I'm not too worried about it. Cause I don't find that they really lessen my enjoyment of a thing. You know, it, it's like, it's like rereading Harry Potter. I love the Harry Potter series. And just because I know what and everything in it doesn't mean, doesn't make my enjoyment any less. Right. And you have a point there. If, if spoilers, I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of, you know, seeking out spoilers. I like to be surprised, but if spoilers really, completely ruined an experience uh then there would never be any point in rewatching anything because it's like well I, I already know what happened so what's the point you know yeah. well but you i think that, no enjoyment I think that out of it. well i think that can be the case for some types of movies though there's some yeah. types of movies where you're watching for like the build or for the thing and i mean we, we're all movie goers so i don't know if y'all have seen like the the was the geico pig or whatever. Yes, yeah, yeah, that, that commercial where he's like, oh, it's great. Uh, she dies at the end. You know, da, 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 da. <laughs> and everyone, everyone says they hate that, you know, but almost everything that he gave an example of was like the uh, the, the mystery film or the like the whodunit. Like right. the reason that typically makes it really hard to make a rewatchable film. So you have to keep most of that under wraps. Something uh, like the usual suspects or the sixth sense or something in that category. Which actually is a great example because I think it's really hard to make a whodunit or like a surprise ending that you want to watch over and over again. And I think The Usual Suspects actually is one of the few examples of a movie that I will watch over and over again, even though I know what's going to happen. Because, you know, they, they, they riddle it with these little clues throughout the whole thing. But mm-hmm. um, but in general, it's really hard. I mean, I feel like what I enjoy watching horror movies most of the time, but I typically only enjoy watching them once because – you kind of know where all the scary parts are, you know, stuff like that. It's really hard to make that again. So if people ruin that or tell me like what happens at the end of it, then it kind of, it defeats that what's going to happen. Mm. Interesting. I will say, uh, getting back to the Star Wars thing, uh, to give credit to Mr. Farachi, he, he didn't get as spoilery as he could have. Oh, he no. kind of just gave out basically what you'll probably see in at least one of the trailers for this movie. If this is actually the premise, but, uh, nothing more than that. Yeah. So it's it's yeah just kind of what the basic setup of the movie is it's it's launching point essentially. Well, if this is a leak, um, I, I have to go because I I never ever 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 do this. You guys can attest to this, right? I I'm going to talk about a little bit about Star Trek and relate something to Star Trek. I never ever do that. <laughs> um, no, uh, so so you guys may or may not know that with Star Trek Two, even without the internet, some some plot details of Star Trek Two leaked out. And right. that caused them to add a new scene. The the detail that leaked out, and I'm going to spoil Star Trek Two, guys, uh, because uh, I can't. So if you've never seen Star Trek Two, shame on you. Uh, so Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan, <laughs> the uh, the thing that leaked was that Spock died, and the fans were in an uproar. What do you mean Spock dies? You can't. And so they added a scene to the movie where, when the movie opened, uh, with the famous, now famous Kobayashi Maru. Um, the you're Kobayashi gonna, Maru setup. You're going to really spoil the Wrath of Khan right I now. Already, aren't you? I, I told you I was going to. <laughs> so uh, you've seen it. You reviewed it with me. So, and I know all of you guys have seen it. And if, it, like I said, if anybody hasn't seen it, shame on you. Shame on you. Um, all right. So it's best movie of all time. Uh, so, so the famous, the now famous Kobayashi Maru uh, kind of opening to Star Trek Two 
And um, in that, you know, in the Kobayashi Maru sequence at the beginning of the film, Spock, quote unquote, dies, right? And then it turns out it's a simulation and they go on with the movie. That's the sort of thing, like, if there are plot details like this leaked, I think that's the sort of thing maybe, I, I just really liked the way that was handled. So. Well, but you're also know, talking there, about there was a, example. Oh, hold on, hold on. Clark, you were first. Sorry, sorry. I was just going to say there was a story not too long ago about uh, Quentin Tarantino had written a script for a movie called The Hateful Eight that leaked. And he yep. was so angry about it, he said, well, I'm just not going to make the movie anymore because the whole script leak and uh, the, there, there was a website, I forget which site, published the whole thing. And then he sort of thought about it later on. He's like, okay, well, I'm going to keep the movie, but I'm going to rewrite the ending in the third act, basically. So it'll be similar to what you thought you were going to get, but it's not going to be the same thing. And I think that's a little silly and, and crazy, but, you know, that's Quentin Tarantino. Sure. But, yeah, I mean, people react to these things in different ways, and it is getting harder and harder to keep wraps on this stuff with, you know, an internet that, while it supposedly doesn't want spoilers, is hungry for information. Yeah, so. I mean, I think, to me, you've got to lay, like, a, a trail of breadcrumbs to follow that lead you to the wrong conclusions. And, I mean, I think you got to work with the way that the industry is now. You were going to say something, Fizz. Oh, well, I was going to say, it's ironic that we were just talking about movies that, even if you know the ending, it doesn't really spoil how great the movie is. And you you picked another one, because Wrath of Khan, even, you know, I, I can watch it over and over and over again, even though the, the one of the biggest plot points in it is the, the surprise that a character's killed. And so... Doesn't matter. Still it, watch it. It's still, still a great, a great movie. movie. It is still a great movie. That's absolutely. But I think right. I think those are the exceptions to the rule. I, I I think great movies are great whether you know how things go or not. I I find that to be the case. There are movies that I always go back to. Anyway, yeah, we should move on. But that's you know, those, if you're interested in the Star Wars Seven plot details, the po- possible plot details that we hope aren't true, <laughs> uh, you can visit the link in the show notes at moviebyte.com/slash/mbpodcast/slash/ninety-eight. It'll be the first link there. Uh, and then I did find that uh, it's called the Spoiler Alert, The Idiot's Guide to Spoilers. Uh, Hal Rudnick and the folks over at Screen Junkies did that. I enjoyed so, listening to them talk about that. So speaking about Samuel Jackson and old Jedi Knights and Star Wars nice, and stuff. Nice, nice. <laughs> wow. He's in this you other the king movie trailer. Of transitions. <laughs> yes. I work really hard at these guys. So, yeah, there's this other movie trailer that you wanted us to talk about, TJ, with yes. Samuel Jackson in it. This is the Kite trailer starring, as you said, Samuel L. Jackson. like somebody used a landmine to clear their sinuses. Exploding 9mm shell. Now it's all yours. My name is Sawa. My father was a cop who fought the cartels, but the Emir killed him and my mother. So one by one, I take my revenge. And believe me, I don't think there are any kites in this trailer or this movie. Yeah, and and this is interesting. This is one that I'm I'm just not sure what to think of, and I'm hoping you guys will will be able to help me here a little bit. Um, it is based on an anime film from 1998, mm-hmm. and it looks extremely violent and very gritty. And uh, it, it, despite that, like in in many ways, it looks like a film I not I might not necessarily enjoy, but I'm still kind of intrigued by it. Um, it reminds me of some of Samuel's younger films, you know. Yeah, yeah it's some of his uh, well films, frankly, like this. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> what do you? What, what, do you, can, what can I say? Oh. Is Clark? What do you guys think? Did you watch this? I did. Um, it looks violent. Yeah. I guess certainly, <laughs> but that's really all, all. All I'm getting, and you know, I know it's based on an anime, and it certainly has that sort of kind of hyper stylized look to it. 
Yeah. Um, I know that the original anime was kind of controversial when it came out because of its uh, somewhat extreme content. I don't know if the live action film will be working in the same territory, but uh, that's really all I know about it. It looks like a, a violent, stylish action movie, but that's I really don't have any feelings, you know, pro or con beyond that. Yeah. yeah. And there was I, I, I meant to link to this in this uh, thing that I posted. I must have forgotten. Um, I thought I even looked up the link, but there was a... Um, a thing that I posted on Movie Bite, oh, sometime back in January or February, um, where they released like seven minutes of different clips and, and footage and behind the scenes stuff and, and promotional material and interviews of the cast. So there was actually a lot more information in that that may be helpful and give you a little bit of a, um, a, a perspective. In fact, I'm going to make a note right now to try to find that and put that in the show notes uh, from January in show notes. Okay. Um, I, I cannot do two things at once, guys. So... Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, so that plus this, I think, is what kind of has me more interested. If I'd seen just this, it might seem a little more generic. Um, that said, like, I don't know. There's there's something about it that's kind of interesting. I mean, like, and I don't know if you got this from the trailer. I got this from the th- thing that I posted back in January, February. This girl is, like, taking some sort of drugs that makes her, gives her superpowers, and then it kind of wears off. And I don't know. I don't know. Fizz, you haven't said anything yet. That's true. I haven't. So that's a very good observation, TJ. Thanks. <laughs> yes, I, I, I'm good at those. Oh, no. The, an, the well, anime on IMDb gets a five-star rating out of ten. You that's know, not so. good. Uh, but the anime, again, I think, is 6.8. The actual kite itself is 5.0. Oh, I believe. Right. Um Well, I'll say this. I, I'm a big Samuel L. Jackson fan. Sure. In general. Who isn't? Um, well, actually, I know people who won't see a movie because Samuel L. Jackson's in it. So there are people. What? TJ, I know. I don't. I don't want to explain it, but they exist. That's all I can say. <laughs> um, but I typically won't go see a movie just because he's in it. And so usually, if he's with a couple other people, I was like, you know, this is something I'll go see. But since it's mainly Samuel L. Jackson and a bunch of people that I'm not very familiar with, I feel like the. It's possible that we're only really seeing this trailer because of Samuel L. Jackson's star power right now. Mm-hmm. And that alone does not make me interested in seeing this film a little closer to whenever it's going to come out. Then maybe I'll, I'll review this and, you know, rethink my stance. But right now on the power of Samuel L. Jackson alone, it, it's not something that I would probably take time to really dive into. So you just said two conflicting things that you like Samuel L. Jackson, but yet that you're not going to see a film just because he's, I don't know. That's no, no, that's what I'm saying. I, I really like Samuel L. Jackson, but I typically don't, I won't go see anything just for him. Okay. Um, they, I mean, Did I you think watch the Apple commercial for just him, you know, the one that he was in. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, like, uh, I, and there's not, there's things that he has carried in the past. Oh, okay. That I think are great. Um, but in general, you know, like, you know, there's some people that I will go see no matter what, if, you know, Daniel Day Lewis is in a film. I'm going to watch that film. I don't care what it's about. Of course, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying. Like, but well, yeah. and I think one of the key differences between Daniel Day Lewis and Samuel L. Jackson is that Daniel Day Lewis is extraordinarily picky uh, about the movies that he appears in. I mean, these days he's only in one every two or three years at best. Right, yeah, mm-hmm. and Samuel L. Jackson will do anything. I mean, the guy's in so much stuff, and he, he said in interviews before. Uh, but he just likes to keep working. He doesn't like a lot of downtime, so he'll take whatever's next. Obviously, he'll pick the projects that look most appealing to him, but his desire to kind of work all the time has led him into both some great films and some kind of forgettable ones. So, Well, I mean, proving, you know. that, proving that he'll take anything. I mean, he had to have read the script for Star Wars Episode One before he was in it, and he was in it anyway. 
<laughs> well, to be fair, lots of people would be in Star Wars, much like at one point, you know, <laughs> anyone would be in a Batman movie because it was like you weren't really popular unless you made it into a Batman movie, no matter how bad that Batman movie Who, who said so? Who said so? I just go back and watch like, you know, the Shul, the Joel Schulmacher Batmans and stuff. They're terrible movies. But at yeah. that time, you know, if you wanted to be somebody, you had to find a way to get into a Batman movie. So DJ, mm-hmm. the whole 90s said so. So, yeah. OK. Well, and I mean, if you if you recall just how ridiculously excited people were about the next Star Wars movie back in 96, 97, when the buildup was happening. Yeah, I think uh, George Lucas could have asked just about anybody and they would have said yes. Well, I, I like I can see Samuel Jackson saying a Star Wars movie. Yeah, I'll be in that. And then if it would, I'd have been him. I'd have read that script and I would have uh, burned it and said, I, I feel like I no, I'm going to have to take a shower now that I've read that script. And I, I just I can't be in it. He loves those so, movies, though. All three I know of them. He, does. he really does. I know he does. He really, and he was even uh, begging for them to find a way to bring him back uh, for the next movie. They're like, you brought Obi-Wan back from the dead. For, Force Ghost. Hello. Yeah. So, you know. <sighs> Whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I like Samuel L. Jackson a lot, but his, his resume is hit and miss for sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm interested to see what Kite is about. I, I'm not saying it's going to be good. I'm just interested at least to, to see what it's about. So, Reading you. a synopsis, I can't think of any reason why you'd want to actually see this movie. Okay. Mm. All right. You're probably right. I mean, I'm, I, can, I can be hit or miss at deciding what movies are good and bad. Uh, you know, don't, you don't have to say anything, Fizz. It's okay. What? Let's move on. <laughs> uh, hey, let's talk about 12 Monkeys. Most of what we know is pieced together from fragments. Only a fraction of the world's population survived. Our only option is to undo it. I'm going back to the past. Do you believe in fate? You ready to make history? I'll make it. Remember, Mr. Cole, and everyone you see is already dead. I'm not gonna hurt you, Doctor, really. How do you know my name? Um, this is <laughs> this this is a trailer for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about that one last week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a trailer for the TV series, the upcoming TV series, Twelve Monkeys, based kind of on the same concept as the movie that Bruce Willis starred in. Um, and so this is the trailer for that. Um, I think that the, the show's title is a big mistake. Just call that, it, what you mean calling it 12 monkeys or yeah. I, I don't know if this is a kid's cartoon show or what, but well, then, I, you know. I, I disagree with that because I think, I mean, 12 monkeys, the movie was a big hit. It made, if memory really? serves, I think it made over a hundred million dollars, which was a, a lot in the nineties. Wow. Um, you know, on a relatively modest budget, uh, director Terry Gilliam, it's certainly his most successful film financially. And yeah, uh, well, I mean, I think you've got a lot of sort of, um, a, a lot of kind of brand recognition in that title. The, uh, worldwide gross of the original 12 monkeys with Bruce Willis, um, was, uh, 168 million, uh, 168.8 million. The domestic uh, total was 57.1, and the foreign is 111.6. So they're unpacking that movie into a television show is what we're looking at. Well, yeah, although they have said they don't want to remake the movie, which does bring me a little bit of hope because I really, 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 really don't like the 12 Monkeys movie. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I really don't like it. I really hate it a lot. Uh, and I want like like I feel like it wouldn't have taken much to make me like it because there's a lot of good stuff there, but I, I think it's just the whole – I mean like – 
what what was the point of the story except you know i mean i some you know my wife loves the movie and she'll say oh well you know it just it's a really cool concept of time travel i'm like why why is it a cool concept of time travel nothing mattered i don't know this was is a whole bunch of people not agreeing I, with you i said hey I, I hear judgment <laughs> coming through this i mean i can feel it vibrating through the skype lines talk to me guys I thought it was great yeah, uh, I, I love Twelve Monkeys. I, I I don't think it's Terry Gilliam's best film. Um, I would put it behind Brazil and a couple of his others uh, that I think like are even Monty more Python ambitious. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh, well, gosh. sure. And I mean, the Monty Python stuff is <laughs> insanely good. But um, of course, it is. It is. <laughs> but um, yeah, Twelve Monkeys I think is a very uh, inventive and imaginative and thought provoking movie. It's certainly a bleak one, but I like it quite a bit. And honestly, um, one that I think would make an interesting double feature with Snowpiercer, which we'll be talking about shortly. That's certainly true. Um, it, it's it's interesting in in that I I I think that that is probably the most probable way time travel would work if it not 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 like the weird machinery and stuff they have, but like the concept of time travel if it were a thing, if it were real, if it were possible. That 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 is the way it would work. There is one timeline with one thing happening, and if you were to go back in time, you've already been back in time. One continuous timeline. Like to me, that's the way that time travel would actually work. But I don't think that makes it the most interesting way to tell a story. That I, yeah. that's kind of where I'm coming at this from. I also think it benefits from one of Bruce Willis's best performances. He's an actor that I do not like in general because I think he's kind of a lazy actor. <laughs> but uh, he, he really gives it his all on that film and turns in some very convincing work. I mean, do you not like Die Hard? Not not, not the newer ones, but like the original right, I mean, Die the original Hard. Die Hard's great. Yeah. It is. And it's it probably is. the yes. best use of the sort of traditional Bruce Willis persona. But I feel like he's been coasting on that for the past three decades since that movie came out. I mean, we're not judging him on his appearance in G.I. Joe here, because that was terrible. I completely no, agree. No, but I mean, stuff like Red, where I feel like oh, you no, really no, ought no, to no, be... No, no, don't, don't, don't ruin our friendship. Just stop right there. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> I really like Red. Red has a lot of good things. Bruce Willis isn't one of them. Oh, no, no. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I agree with that. Uh, Joe, help me here. I'm sorry. I had a hard time concentrating, because I'm still thinking about the title. <laughs> All right. Well, tell us about the title. Tell us about Twelve Monkeys. No, no there's really nothing to say more about it. It, it. I mean, if there was a Bruce Willis movie called Twelve Monkeys, then that made a hundred million dollars. Then who am I to say different? <laughs> did you watch the trailer? The TV trailer, yeah. The TV show trailer, yeah, I did. Okay. And uh, I didn't get monkeys out of it. So, 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 so we're talking about the original movie. We haven't really talked about the TV series. So, are you guys interested in it at all? What's uh, tell me? Talk to me. Yeah, I would watch the show. It's got something uh, to do with time travel. Clark. As, as with, uh, as is kind of my standard answer with a lot of TV shows that I'm not sure about, I'll at least check out the pilot and see how it goes. Is it, if enough people tell me that it's really good, then I'll probably check it out. But I kind of think the movie was all I needed. Okay. My, my approach to this is I, you know, like I said, I don't like the movie. I don't know that I would, you know, if they take it in a different direction, that's hopeful, but I don't expect to like the TV show. The trailer looks a little bit cheaply produced. There was it, it just something about it felt cheap and it's on sci-fi, which has consistently canceled every show that I've ever liked that they, you know, if I, if I liked a show and it was on sci-fi, it got canceled. So I just, oh. I just don't have a lot of hope here. Yeah. Okay. Well, that'll, that'll explain it. If, 
um, if after one season this show gets canceled, then I'll know it was good, okay. and I'll go back and watch it. Absolutely, I will completely agree with you. <laughs> if, if it, gets it, canceled if it after- lasts on Sci-Fi for more than one season, then I probably won't check it out. <laughs> and you know, I'm just grateful that Sci-Fi is trying to do stuff like this again, as opposed to you know Sharknado and mm. the other stuff that they're releasing. I'd, I'd rather days. just let them stick to Sharknado, and, and, oh, and no. we, can keep the, we can keep the good stuff over and, somewhere else. It, but let just- them be the silo for bad Sci-Fi. I know. It's just with Battlestar Galactica being there, I keep yes, hoping that they've got yes. the next one out mm-hmm. there somewhere. This is the same uh, channel, though, that did, did Caprica, so... I know. <laughs> I know. And Caprica was a disappointment. But, yes. But, yeah, well, I just have more hope for channels like FX and AMC now, so I just don't even bother. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, FX and AMC are great, but they, they also don't seem to have... I, I guess with the exception of the strain now on FX, they don't seem to have a whole lot of interest in sort of sci-fi programming. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Well, this makes me think now, guys. Uh, we all like sci-fi a lot, but can any of us say that there's been a real awesome show on the sci-fi channel that we really got into besides Stargate oh, SG-1, Stargate Atlantis, um, uh, Eureka. Uh, let's see. What are, what are some other rules? Battlestar, Galact- any, any Battlestar, of us- Battlestar Galactica. Okay, so I mean, like you're you're happy with the consistency of the the entire series? The, uh, yes, every season, every series that I just mentioned, except for the very last episode of Battlestar Galactica. Yes, I loved wow. the entirety of those shows. Yeah, well, and I haven't seen uh, Atlantis, but I really liked um, SGU. No, 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 which I know you no, didn't no, like. No, it was awful. But just just to sort of throw out another sci-fi show that I thought was worthwhile. <sighs> Yeah. Wow. See, I feel like all those shows, Eureka was like the most recent one, and it was like a holdover from a previous era of sci-fi, and now sci-fi is just stupid. The channel sci-fi, not 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 the genre. Not the genre. <laughs> yeah, they don't even spell it right. S-Y-F-Y. They, they rebranded because they didn't want to be known as the sci-fi channel anymore or something. I don't know. It's stupid. Uh, all right. Yeah. We, we, we got now they're do- like ghost hunters and wrestling and Sharknado. Mm. Stop fighting it, TJ. I told you it's going to be three hours. Just okay. sit back. We're, we're moving on. We're moving on. Um, speaking of TV shows, <laughs> speaking of TV shows, give it to me, guys. Let me, let me take the reins here. I see that. Uh, speaking of TV shows, um, there's a few details about the Heroes Reborn project by uh, by Tim Kring coming up. Um, I, I really, really liked the original show, and I know you guys are going to hate on me because nobody likes it past the first season. I loved all the seasons. I felt like some of the seasons were not as good as other seasons, but I felt like it certainly recovered from season two, uh, where they had the writer's strike and everything. But season two wasn't that bad. Um, I really liked the entirety of the show. I'm not sure what I think about this uh, this whole Heroes Reborn thing. I don't know. It, Do we have the same producers and director for yeah, well, the Tim, Tim Kring is back in the mix. He, he's the he's the one who created the original show. Um, there will be probably uh, appearances from the original actors, uh, but they're all you know, especially like Zachary Quinto, you know. And, and Allie Larder for that uh, is is off doing her thing, and but Zachary Quinto is a big you know star now. He probably won't appear on the show at all, um, you know. And it, it's feasible. Um, uh, what's the actress that's on Nashville now? Uh, Hayden, Hayden Panettiere. Pen- yes, Hayden Panettiere. She's she's still you know in TV and possibly available for episodes here and there and that sort of thing. So I, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to this, but I'm kind of thinking it's not going to be any good just because it's like trying to capture lightning in a bottle again. I mean, I think they really had something and, you know, just sort of slipped away. I, I have to be honest. I, I quit Heroes midway through season three um, mm-hmm. because I, I, I thought season two was a disappointment in contrast to season one, but I kind of attributed that to the writer's strike. And then as season three progressed it just seemed like they didn't really have any idea where they were going and it was just turning into a mess and they were repeating old ideas and uh, I don't know I just gave up on it 
But yeah, the, the first season was a terrific season of television, but it never really hit that point again for me. Hmm. See, and I knew that was going to. I, I feel. I figure I'll be the only one on the show that, that liked it throughout the entirety. <laughs> I, I mean, did it did it get better like after halfway through season three, or well, did you like think, really like the first? I half didn't of think season. season three was bad, so I'm not the right person to ask that question. Okay. That, that's like saying, "Did you stop beating your wife?" I mean, <laughs> I mean, come on, really? <laughs> Is that what it's like, TJ? Is that exactly what it's like? <laughs> Yes, yes, it's exactly didn't, didn't like that, get, Fizz. <laughs> didn't you start getting weary of Siler at a certain point, though? Um, the, okay, I did have a little bit of frustration with Siler here and there. I, I actually liked the journey he was on, and then it felt like they nullified it all at a certain point. I, I will mm-hmm. I will say that. that I, I, I thought that Siler's journey from where he I won't try to, I'll try not to spoil it, but it's kind of obvious from where he was and then kind of where he was going. And then it's like... It's like, eh, no, we're not going to go there with him after all. And that was a little frustrating. I'll give you that. All the other characters I felt had really good journeys, especially Jack Coleman's uh, character, Noah Bennett. I, I really liked his journey and where he went. Uh, and, you know, Hayden uh, Panettiere, I can't remember her name. She was the cheerleader. Um, yeah. You know, she she had a pretty good journey, too. And, uh, you know, overall, I mean, I just really liked the the show. Nathan Petrelli, of course, is a, is a great character. And, you know. They had a great cast. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Me. Yeah, but the writing, uh, for, for the writing just got messy for me after a while. Okay, but, I mean it's a know. valid opinion. So I, I doubt I'll be checking into Heroes Reborn unless I hear you know that it's really amazing and wow the show is back it's so good you know. But um, well, I was, does anyone does anyone know if know. I'm sorry? Go ahead, uh, go ahead. Does anyone know if the original show was written with an end in mind or were they just kind of you know ambling along from season to season? It was not written with an end in mind, although my understanding is that they had an end to each season in mind as they wrote the seasons. I don't know if I believe that for a couple of the seasons, but certainly for season one. The season one feels like a pretty pretty complete arc. Um, and and the I know that season one they've certainly had the ending of season one in mind when they when they went to production. That would help a lot with the re- the continuation. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, I, you know, a couple of the seasons, it was like, you, know, you, you probably didn't. You, you say you did, but you probably didn't. I, you know, I can understand that. But I, I still enjoyed all the seasons. You know? And, you know, for, from what I've read, very few showrunners actually have an end point in mind when they start a show. Just because television is so unpredictable and you're having to adapt all the time. Uh, you know, you never know how many seasons you're going to get or even how many episodes you're going to get necessarily. Yeah. And uh, very few people can come in and say, OK, well, this is going to be six seasons and it's going to end here and it's mapped out like this. And that's what it's going to be. There are a few people who have done it, but those circumstances are few and far between. Well, and this is another yeah, but- reason why I like the Netflix model, uh, you know, like with House of Cards, where not only does David Fincher have the end of the entire thing in mind, he has the end of each season in mind. And so he can, you know, if if they don't go on and get another season, which they already have. So it doesn't matter. But he's 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 encapsulated it enough so that it's not the end of the world. It's not like leaving you it's it's not like the end of uh Alcatraz, where it just sort of left you like, Whoa, what a great show. Why did it get canceled and now it's just stupid and I can never watch it again because it's such a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. You know? Someone actually say that about Alcatraz? I do. <laughs> Gosh, Fizz, go away. What is wrong just, with you? I'm just picking. Okay. <laughs> You're just getting so passionate about this, PJ. I just want to I just want to keep hey, you. I have a podcast grounded. about movies and TV shows. What did you expect? <laughs> What did you really expect, Fizz? <laughs> I'm excited. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, as as far as Heroes goes, I would be more interested if someone took the concept of Heroes and put it on a different channel where I have higher expectations. 
Right now, I do not. I, I have zero, zero, zero expectations for broadcast television. That's true, and and it, this does feel like. And I wrote, especially I almost drama. Forgot, yeah, I almost forgot about this. I put it in the notes actually. Um, while I really liked Heroes, this feels like NBC is kind of looking around, saying, "Hey, what what kind of look at all these superhero franchise stuff? What what can we pull off the shelf? What do we have? What can we use? You know, that's it's a little bit feels a little bit like that. I don't know. Yeah. But but at the same time, the creator of the series, the original series, is in the mix. So it's like he's on board, whatever they're doing. So that's, you know, somewhat promising. The other problem here, too, though, is if memory serves, the hero's ratings were just sort of trickling away at a fairly alarming pace over the course of that show's that's run. True. So can they get everybody back? Yeah. I don't and know. if they are going to, they're pretty much going to have to toss out all the old continuity and say, we're starting fresh. This is a new story. You don't have to have seen any heroes to appreciate what we're doing here. Yeah. Uh, that's the only way I can see this working. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a fair point. All right, well, I mean, that's that's really all I have to say. I'm, I'm just <laughs> I'm excited in some ways, and I'm I'm trep- I have trepidation in other ways. So, all, all long winded way of saying that. <laughs> shall we move on? You ready, guys? Ready to move on? We shall. Okay. Indeed. Kevin Feige uh, talks about uh, DC, and I I really liked this. I really um, appreciated, uh, you know, his his approach to to the rival comic. Uh, Here's a story. Uh, while Kevin, Fe- this is from the playlist. Kevin Jagernoth. Uh, while Kevin Feige has enough to talk about when it comes to the forthcoming Guardians of the Galaxy, it seems much of his press time of late has been spent explaining what the heck has been going on with Ant Man. And then over his shoulder are his rivals at DC Comics, who ha- who coming who are coming hard in 2016 with Batman vs Superman, Dawn of Justice. But Feige feels no ill will towards his uh, per- fellow purveyors of comic book c- cinema, and he credits the success they've achieved so far. He says, I, th- I don't think it is quite fair to say DC is, is finally getting their act together. The Dark Knight movies were rather successful and genre-defining. They altered the genre in big ways. So I think there has always been competition that way. I mean, Iron Man was the number one movie of 2008 until Dark Knight came along. And I loved it, frankly. I love that the number one and number two movies of the year, and it happened a number of times since then, being comic book movies, even if it wasn't one we made. So that's, that's the story. Yeah. That's kind of what I want to talk about. And and I think this is a great perspective. For, you know, you know, too often you see these, you know, these people going head to head and talking, you know, talking trash about somebody else, or you know, their stuff is garbage, and we got the good stuff over here. And I I think this is absolutely the the correct uh, approach to the competition, which is, hey, when they win, we all win because they're making comic book movies, and that means people have an interest in this. And you know, DC did have something really good with the Dark Knight trilogy, so uh, I I really like this perspective from Feige. What did you guys think? Well, I like what you said at the end of your 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 post, where you said, uh, you know, whenever things, whenever competition pushes these people to make better and better movies, uh, we all win as like viewers. Yeah, absolutely. At least that's what I got from what you're saying, and I completely agree with that. Yeah, and and I really don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that um, uh, the Dark Knight trilogy really enabled the comic book movie industry as it as it exists today. You know, and I'm glad that he acknowledges that. I, I think that's really classy. That's that's what I'm getting at. I think with all. Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Clark. Well, I was just going to say, I, I think this sort of self-contained statement is fairly classy. Um, but I don't like Mr. Feige. Um, really? I, I don't. No, I don't. I don't like the way he's he's running a lot of things at Marvel. Um, I'm upset with him about the Ant Man thing. Yes, I me am. too. But sure, I think I, we all are. I, I'm also disappointed with the way that he's sort of. Um, kind of felt a need to sort of take directorial control on a lot of different projects. Thor 2 is one 
where uh, the director, Alan Taylor, was essentially kind of locked out uh, of the editing room in the post-production process because Marvel wanted their movie to feel a certain way and uh, kind of removed his voice from the mix in the end. And and I really don't feel that's an appropriate way to do things. He's he's making a lot of money right now and getting away with it. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't want to be a director working for Marvel, honestly, because I wouldn't feel that I had true creative freedom there. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I understand that. Um, and and I, I think there is something to be said, um, you know, where, you know, the firing of, of what was the guy's name that did uh, that was doing Ant-Man? Uh, Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Wright. Yeah. And, and, and that sort Peyton of con- Reed. It, it contributes to the idea that the Marvel movies are all despite whatever characters they're about, whatever stories they're telling, they're all supposed to kind of sort of feel the same. Uh, and that's the thing that bugs me the most about Marvel is there is a kind of. um. I don't know, uniformity to their to their work that while I, I think there's a certain level of quality control there, I think there's a, a limited amount of room to grow creatively with what they're trying to do. Do you do you think that you might uh, – I'm, I'm legitimately asking this question. Do you think you're mm-hmm. alone in this opinion or do you think that this we're on the edge of a tipping point where the tide could turn against Marvel? Uh, I don't think we're at the edge of a tipping point just yet. I, I think I'm a little further along and being disappointed with Marvel than some people are. Um, because while I didn't like Thor 2 and a lot of other people didn't like Thor 2, I also was concerned by some of the things they were trying to do in The Winter Soldier, which everybody seems to love, and it's a good movie, but some of the trends that I was seeing as far as the way that movie was constructed were bothersome to me. Mm. Um, But we'll see how it plays out over the next few movies. It's just hard for me to take everything he says as truth even though we want to believe, Hey, he's being, he's taking the high road because you know, when someone tells one lie in the midst of a lot of truths, it makes you question the rest of the truths. And in this, in this statement, he said, we, we can like basically guarantee that we're going to deliver the best Ant-Man possible. And without Edgar (laughs) Wright, that is impossible. There is no way whatever Ant-Man I see next year will be half as good as if Edgar Wright directed the whole thing. I agree completely. Especially one directed by Peyton Reed. I have no knowledge of Peyton Reed, so please enlighten me. Uh, Even if Peyton Reed does really well. uh, If if I can look up his resume here, um, I was looking at the titles, and I was genuinely unimpressed by most of them, but I noticed that one of the movies that he directed um, was the Jim Carrey movie Yes Man, which just struck me as kind of a a funny uh, little irony, given that he was sort of tapped for this particular job. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> okay. I, I'm not seeing much of any. I mean, he's he, he directed like he's the breakup work. with Vince Vaughn yeah. and Jennifer Aniston. Romantic comedies. Yeah. Um, some episodes of New Girl, the TV show. Well, is anyone Down with Love, the Ewan McGregor movie? Maybe he was made for the part. Maybe he was made for this particular film. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm just giving them the the benefit of I mean, a little bit of a doubt. That's the Joe we know and love. Everything I've seen from his resume, he looks very much like a hired gun, like a technically competent director who doesn't really have any real personality. Mm. Uh, uh, and I think that's what Marvel was looking for. They were like, we've got the story we want to tell. We've got the script we want to have. Uh, you just need to come in and do what we tell you to do. That seems to me the sort of director they were looking for. Point the camera, uh, and push I could the be buttons. wrong about that, but I guess we'll see. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, it's a, it's a fair point. I, yeah. I, I'm a little bit deflated. I wanted to think highly of Kevin Feige for, for speaking so well of his rivals and, and acknowledging that they were doing important work before he came along, before Marvel came along. And, and I, I mean, in fairness to him, I think to run a studio, you almost have to be a little bit evil. 
I mean, it just kind of comes with a job description. Evil, huh? <laughs> and he's not the worst of the worst. I mean, he's not Harvey Weinstein. Um, Except for Ed Catmull. He, I don't know. I don't know the name. You don't know who Ed Catmull is? Not off the top of my head, no. Clark. I'm ashamed. I'm Clark. Ashamed. Please enlighten Clark for us, Joe. Uh, Pixar? <laughs> nope. Seriously, oh, I'm sure I'd, I'm sure I'd recognize his face if I saw it because I've watched so much behind the scenes stuff. But the name just doesn't ring a bell. Okay, go flying into the show notes. Pixar. Flying into yeah. the show notes. Here we go. <laughs> okay. okay, now I'm looking at his picture. Yeah, I've seen that guy. Yeah, yeah. Hey, spell his last name. C a t m u l l. Catmull. As if he's mulling a cat. Uh, yeah. I can't believe or that the, the that cat is mulling. Anybody something. wouldn't know who Ed Catmull was who was a fan of Pixar. Mm. I'm having a hard time uh, processing this. <laughs> yeah, his book, his big book, just came out a little while ago. Uh, the Creativity yeah. Inc. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's a nice, big, thick book, Clark. I think you'd love it. Okay, I know who John Lasseter is. If that wasn't <laughs> me, <in front>, people. <laughs> you're yeah, slightly redeemed. There. Slightly redeemed. <laughs> okay, well, let us move into the primary review of our show this week, and that is Snowpiercer. This chaos. A thousand people in an iron box. 18 years I've hated the train. 18 years I've waited for this moment. This is the world. The train saved humanity. The engine lasts forever. The population must always be kept in balance. I said sit down. Passengers, eternal order. Snowpiercer was released on July the 11th um, of this year, um, to some to very limited release, um, uh, I don't have any info on the budget. Uh, does anybody know where we can find info on this box office mojo? Let me down. They had nothing. I think Wikipedia has it. I think it's like thirty six million. Yeah, it's 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 fairly. Oh, uh, yeah. I just looked uh, this up. Quick Google search says thirty nine point two million. So there it's you in go. That range. Um, opening weekend uh, is one hundred seventy one thousand, but I'm assuming this number on box office mojo is domestic, and that's very misleading since this is a foreign film. Because the worldwide gross is eighty three point six million domestically. Now it's at three thousand four hundred fifty four, wow. three million four hundred fifty four thousand, and eighty million foreign, eighty point two million. Uh, how Ron, does that happen? How does what happen? Speaking, speaking of uh, the I, evil I of Harvey Weinstein, we have a moment to yeah. get into it. <laughs> Um, all right, so the critical claim on Rotten Tomatoes is Snowpiercer offers an aud- audaciously ambitious action spectacular for filmgoers numb to effects-driven blockbusters. Director, oh, you know what, Clark? I was going to let you do all the uh, directors, writers, and stars since you are better at pronunciations f- by far than I am. Can you, can you tell us about these guys? I'll give it my best shot. Uh, the director is Jun Ho Bong. The writers are Jun Ho Bong and Kelly Masterson. The stars are Chris Evans, who plays Curtis. Kang Ho Song, who plays Namgung Minsu, Ed Harris, who plays Wilford, John Hurt, who plays Gilliam, Tilda Swinton, who plays Minister Mason, Jamie Bell, who plays Edgar, Octavia Spencer, who plays Tanya, Asong Ko, who plays Yona, and Allison Pill, who plays Teacher. 
And the composer is Marco Beltrami, uh, who you've noted has scored The Wolverine, World War Z, Warm Bodies, Trouble with the Curve, Soul Surfer, Live Free or Die Hard, iRobot, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, and the list goes on and on and on and on in brackets and parentheses. <laughs> Very good, Clark. <laughs> Very good. Joe, you, you wrote this uh, summation of this story, so I think it would be best read in, in your mm, uh, okay. wonderful voice. All right. Well, I'll, I'll do my best. Thank you, TJ. Take a swig Snow of water Piercer. if you need it. Say what? Take Spill a, water. Take a swig of water if you if you need it. Oh, no, thank you. No, thank you. All right, so Snowpiercer is set in the not-too-distant future in a world where a climate control experiment takes a turn for the worst. It has been 17 or so years since the Second Ice Age began. Now, can we confirm that, guys? Would you all agree the film conveyed it was 17 years? Well, yes. I mean, yeah, he said he said he had been on the train for 17 years. Okay, I wasn't sure if that just meant... Okay, well, yeah, that, that, that does make But that was sense. the impression I got, too. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Most life on Earth is dead, except for a few survivors on the Snowpiercer, a train that laps the planet once a year. Among the passengers, a class system quickly rose to power, forcing the weaker and the poor passengers into darkness and isolation and desolation in the back of the train. The enemy, a man named Wilford, is the train's godlike engineer, that the desperate passengers will fight to the death to overthrow. The strong and smart young man among the passengers in the back, Curtis, leads a bloody revolt against the tyrannical upper class that have dominion over the front cars on the train. I have some predictions, guys. I predict that two of us will love this film, one of us will mildly dislike it, and one of us will hate it with the passion of a thousand burning suns. <laughs> I would say you have fairly solid evidence for that to be the case. <laughs> yeah. The only one I'm unsure of right now is Fizz, and I know pretty much where he's going to fall on this. So I think two of you are going to love it. Uh, and, well, to I be said, fair, TJ, it's not very fair of you to make your predictions before you put your star rating into the outline. <laughs> oh, I thought I did, actually. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought well, I did. you do, Fizz. I'm calling you out, too, man. There you go. Oh, so, I never put my star. I never put my star rating there because I want to surprise TJ. Yeah, well, I already know. I already know what it is, Fizz. You've let the cat out of the bag already. I mean, not the actual star rating, but I know how you feel about the film. So, oh well, I've, I've reviewed it on uh, Letterbox too. Uh, I, I I probably didn't read. It. I I I always forget to update Letterbox until I'm like a month behind. I go, okay, I think I saw this movie on this date, and, this, and, I, and I want that record. It's just I, I wish there was. If there was an iPhone app for Letterboxd, it would be the bomb diggity. Um, no. I'm not qualified. That to sounds use like that. a moneymaker. I'm not qualified wait. to use that word, but you know. <laughs> so wait, Joe, are you being serious? Me? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah I'm being serious, but I'm also oh, willing to be convinced otherwise. Uh, I'd like to talk about this, guys. Do we want to go ahead and talk about the ratings since we've already kind of brought the cat mm, out of the come bag? Back to, let's come back to those. We, I mean, yeah, let's come back to those. Um, Clark, I would like for you to mount a defense as to why this film merits such high praise from someone so critical like yourself. Snowpiercer is the most dazzlingly original film of the year. I have not seen anything else like this movie. I've seen movies that uh, are, are kind of like this in terms of tone, I suppose, and the movie certainly is inspired by works of the past of various sorts. But after seeing so many movies this year, which feel like tired retreads of so many other things, even movies which are supposedly original, like Earth to Echo, uh, that's supposed to be an original film, feels like a tired retread of something else. This is something that feels fresh and new. It's superbly acted. It has some brilliant ideas. It's far more complex than any movie this exciting and an action-packed has a right to be. And it's a genuinely thrilling 
thought-provoking experience. It's really everything I want from a summer movie. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I will agree with you, Clark. I mean, that, that totally, is, yeah, that's, that totally very makes sense coming from you. Clark. Unique. I mean, uh, that's not an insult either. I mean, like we we share our <laughs> no, differences. No, yeah, yeah, I, I, know, like, oh, yeah, I hate that, this movie, that but it complete makes sense. sense that you yeah, that, that's yeah. Con- that's totally true. The Clark psyche. He's not making this up. And as far as Clark is concerned, this is a real five star film, and I get that now. I'm well, like, wow, okay, okay. So we're gonna hit the two polar opposites. Then we've had we've had the the. Uh, Shall we call it the North Pole or the High Star Pole or whatever you want to call it? My metaphor is not holding up, but but let's let's hit the low end of the spectrum here, Joe. <laughs> oh, okay, pressure's on. Um, <laughs> what do you say in response to Clark without just responding to Clark? Um, I want to I want to respond to you, but I I no, shouldn't no, do ahead, that here. That's just an it. abuse. This is not go a debate. I'm not turning yeah. this into no. This a is debate. totally a debate. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's another show. <laughs> I'm um, game. I think I, I got to just speak for myself when I say that the the film really kept my attention and it was very gripping and it was very moving. It, it wraps all of your attention and all of your emotion. Uh, you're, you're hoping for so many different things to, to change for the guys you're rooting for. You're, you're so discouraged by the villainy. You're, you're really impressed by some of the originality of the story. And I, I think that the production quality is, is there. I'm not going to say that this was a poorly made film. What bugs me, what bugs me big time is that (laughs) what, what bugs me big time is that this is humanity at its worst or next to worst when there's virtually no hope left. When so many circumstances are outside of their control and the circumstances that are in their control are really disgusting. And it, it was done incredibly well, but it's, it's sort of like a painting made with, you know, really gross stuff. You know, let's say, you know, <laughs> mud and horse manure. Let's say you make a beautiful <laughs> painting out of, you know, horse manure. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's still horse manure. And, that kind of irks me. Like I, I, I can say, wow, what a fascinating painting. Well, what was that made with? And when someone tells me I'm going to be disgusted and repulsed and this film, it feels like you, you just, you have so much brilliant skill. Why couldn't this have been applied to the Hobbit movie franchise or something? <laughs> well, why, why was it put to this film uh, that was essentially one of my nightmares? Like this film actually reminds me of one of my recurring nightmares. Oh no. <laughs> and so that was something that I came away with. And so it actually took me a while to kind of get out of the emotional depression. I, after seeing the film this afternoon, I am really impressed how well they construct the emotions that you funnel into the story. But when you see the ending, it was just so, it's such a downer. It is such a downer. So, so to summarize, what is you're it? saying is that they tried to put polish on, and chrome on a turd, and it didn't really work. I, I, I'm trying to be more gracious. <laughs> <laughs> didn't work for Joe. Yes, Viz. Tell us about. Yeah, this. and I know this is a very personal, yeah, opinion. Yeah. This, I'm not trying to speak for all moviedom in the audience. And I mean, that's ultimately what a review is. I mean, it's a personal reaction, and I yeah. think it's appropriate mm-hmm. that there are different takes on movies. This is this is like, you know, on the one side, you've got the gauge over here on the bottom on this side, and you've got it maxed out over here. It's pretty crazy. 
Yeah, if, if anyone had actually had told me what the movie would be like for me before I went into it, if they'd said, oh, Joe, you're going to hate this film for these reasons, I would have said, oh, wow, well, I got to tell TJ I can't be on the podcast tonight. I, I won't <laughs> wow. have anything to talk about. I just made, if I could go back, I would not watch this film. It's, it's that horrible to me. Mm. All right, Fizz, do, do, do your thing. Tell, tell us why Joe's so wrong. Well, that's the thing. <sighs> I, 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 kinda, I know, I know. You always say, well, it's, you know, it's a personal thing, but t- tell us. Yeah, I, I understand what Joe is saying. I, I don't really, like I said, personally agree with that. I kind of fall more on how Clark's seen this movie. I, like, when I when I got done watching this movie, I basically was like, man, this is the dystopian, or this is the original dystopian sci-fi movie that, like, movies that are making tons and tons of money, like Divergent and The Hunger Games, can never be. Mm-hmm. This is this is specifically showing us uh, a f- or doing what sci-fi does best, and I think sci-fi is at its best. We just talked about this when we talked about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. That sci-fi is at its best when it basically holds a mirror up to humanity and says, "This isn't what things are necessarily like, but this is how bad it could be, or this is a one possibility." Kind of, what are you going to do about it? And I. Besides Edge of Tomorrow, you know, this is another one of those things. We argue with Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow was great. And it was original-ish. You know, as, as original-ish. About as original as we'd seen in a while. Yep. This is completely original. Um, barring the fact that it was based on another novel. Um, and I don't understand why people wouldn't like that if they want original sci-fi. This this reminded me of like it's a throwback, not dystopian where it's like young adult and flashy and there's beautiful people. This is like, <laughs> hey, we have a dystopian future that we're trying to work out. And they're trying to work it out like I would see in like a dark city or even like older movies like Soylent Green, things like that where they're actually trying to do something in the movie. They're trying to say something, but they do it in a an artful and technically proficient way and it's not super flashy there's not tons of explosions you know they don't try to like they don't run out of ideas and have to wow you with like something that doesn't really make sense like everything is very methodical in this movie and all points to these grand themes and i think it's really rare for a summer movie to have every single action that it does point to the reason that the film was made um and in and, you know in that beauty i could not help but enjoy this film. Okay. Well, here's the thing. I was actually closer to Clark and Fizz for for the large majority of this movie. Um, I I really enjoyed the originality of the film. Uh, I really enjoyed the production value. I, uh, I really enjoyed uh, just how different it was. And yet there was some good action, but it wasn't over long. It wasn't, you know... Uh, here, here's here's some flashy, like you said, Fizz, some flashy stuff to keep you entertained. There mm-hmm. was real substance and, and value in the film. I felt like it was going to have something to say, um, you know, about something. And and that's ultimately where this movie falls down for me, is it feels like we're in a, um, not, I mean, obviously it's supposed to be post-apocalyptic, but it, it feels like there's no story left to tell. Like, okay, here's here's what's left of humanity. They're duking it out, and uh, guess what? That's just kind of how it is, and that's the end. And there was no story there to tell. Um, like, like the story had no meaning. That's what I mean. Because when you get to the end of the film, you're like, okay. I mean, and literally, they just sort of leave you hanging. Like, oh. 
Okay, there's two what? survivors. Did we watch the I same guess? movie? Yeah, there, there's. I guess there's two <laughs> survivors to this film. I, I don't know. I, I I just don't get it. I don't understand. Can, um, can I make a case for uh, the, the movie having some meaning and substance? You certainly may. I would love to hear this. Okay, so on a, surface, on, a, on a surface level, you've got something that seems kind of familiar, which is rich versus poor. And that's a theme that we've seen in science fiction sure. and movies in general quite a bit. And, you know, on the surface, it feels like recent sci-fi movies like End Time and Elysium and movies like that are very much sort of rooted in that whole 99% versus 1% mentality. And, you know, the rich are oppressing the poor and so on and so forth. You've got that stuff going on. And that's here, too, but it's so much more complex and the way it's handled this time around, uh, it, yes, you've got the, the rich oppressing the poor, which is how, honestly, it's it's always been throughout the history of the world. That's just the way you know the world has seemed to work one way or another. But you've got it kind of in microcosm here, and uh, you know, rather than sort of suggesting like Elysium and In Time do, well, if enough people get up and have a revolution, you'll change the world and make it a better place. Snowpiercer acknowledges the idea, and I think this is rooted in a lot of historical fact, that revolutions, no matter what you're fighting for, no matter what your intentions are, are messy, difficult, and costly. Uh, And even if you're fighting necessarily for the right side, and even if you have, you know... um, a just cause that it's it's never as simple as just you know conquering evil and you've got a lot of intriguing ideas sort of percolating in the background too about uh how easily you know good intentions can be corrupted and the chris evans character realizing over the course of the film you know how little control he actually has over the revolution that he thought he was leading and how much he's been manipulated into something by people who were more powerful and you know manipulative than he was it's like the Matrix. <laughs> uh, it, it, yeah, I mean, I mean, it really is. It, it's one of the most thought-provoking science fiction films since the Matrix, I would say, mm-hmm. and uh, has a ton of great ideas at its core. And you know, I, I feel like the ending of the movie, without you know spoiling it for people, as bleak as it is, is something that you know is, is vaguely hopeful too. In, in a in a strange way, it's something that I think is in keeping with the basic idea of the movie is that humanity, if it continues on the course that it's going down at the moment is probably doomed, but there are faint glimmers of hope out there. Uh, and I feel like that's kind of the, the worldview the movie is coming from and the ending is consistent with that. I would agree well, with I you, would... Clark, that, that, that the, there's a lot of great ideas in this movie. I think there are a fantastic amount of great ideas, fantastic ideas, fantastic, fantastic how many times can I use that word? Um, <laughs> there are a lot of great ideas in this movie, but that feels like to me that it's all that it is is a collection of ideas that didn't con- that didn't congeal and go anywhere and, and have anything to say or anything to do. But you, you you didn't feel that it was just kind of an artfully crafted story. I mean, with, it's got such a beautiful linear progression as they're working over the course of the movie from the back of the train to the front of the well, train. Sure, I mean it was an artfully crafted non-story because it didn't go anywhere. It didn't have it like like it was just I I was like I'm with Joe on like. Wow, I feel so down and dark and disappointed and and depressed. Well, I think you're kind of supposed to because I think that's what it that what what Clark was basically talking about, like this, you know, it's it's not I don't think it's as simple as being about rich versus poor. It's talking about no, no. how how society fundamentally works and there's this concept even though the end seems really depressing cuz well, we're not doing spoilers right yet, right? No, I mean we we can because it's hard to talk about without doing it. So let's let's say we're into spoilers now. 
Okay, so at the you know the very end of this movie, the you know the final scene, we like wow, there's only two people alive, but they see a they see a polar bear in a world where they thought there was zero life. So there's this glimmer of hope, and the movie basically gets you to a point where you're hoping for uh, victory within a system. Um, but the whole movie takes us on this really long journey to say that, uh, much like Clark was saying, you know, there's like this, there's a system that you're working in. And even that system being alive in that system basically is still zero hope. Yeah. Um, I mean, the system itself is so broken and so corrupted. There's, there's no real hope for genuine change within it. Yeah, even with new people in charge, it's mm-hmm. still going to be the same broken system. So, when when you have those two people walk out of the 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 train, um, being alive, even though their survival chances is fairly low, it, it one could argue in this type of dystopian movie that humanity was already dead on the train. Oh, for sure, I, I agree with that. So, it, like I said, on the surface, I think it looks like a fairly like, oh, man, the, the movie just ended. What's going to happen? They're probably going to die. That's depressing. But if you think about it in the large context of where they started, what the end result of continuing to lose their humanity on a daily basis um, with planned revolt after planned revolt, a glimmer of hope is way more hopeful than living in a system that is basically death. And, you know, and, it's an ending. Oh, oh I'm sorry to, to interrupt you. No, no, no. Go, go ahead, Clark. I was, I was just going to say, uh, it's an ending, too, which reminds me of uh, the conclusion of another brilliant sci-fi film, Children of Men, uh, which is another one that that doesn't necessarily, you know, promise that things are going to get better. But it does leave you with that faint glimmer of hope, that that chance. And that's really, you know, uh, in this world, I think the best you can hope for. Well, that's what I think really good sci-fi does, because sci-fi is not really trying to give us the answer. It's just really holding a magnifying glass up to a small truth that could become a big truth. Right. And that's the Um, problem with, say, a a movie like Elysium, which does pretend to have, you know, a a big answer answer to everything. And it's like, do this and you'll be fine. You know, I I, I would say I'd have to say I think I like this movie better than Elysium. Well, okay, well, now now I think it's coming together for me, guys. If if we are talking about the ending and the uh, the underlying hope left with in the film, I I think that the hope is um, unfortunately based on undecided futures. Like, yeah, we know that in the past, humanity did all kinds of corrupt things, which led to a catastrophe that ruined the planet. And then we have, by almost sheer luck, the train that is able to continue on. On that train, it seems like some uh, wealthy individuals took maybe advantage of the situation. And so they got some poor people to get on board when the world started to collapse. It's, uh, you know, the climate collapsed. And so they started to take advantage of the poor people like chattel. Um, what you see here is that you don't really have hope from my standpoint at the end of the film. What you have is a huge bag of uncertainty. You don't know whether to really put much stock into what the one man said. That was the guy who managed security on the train when he said that there was a chance they could survive outside of the bullet train. Because earlier in the film, you see how one guy had his arm frozen solid when he had it outside in front of the train. Although they did and mention so, the altitude. Yeah, it, it, it's colder, obviously, at different points in the world. There are certain areas, though, where it seemed like life might be 
possible. Again. I mean, let's face sure. it. If you were in a moving train at a certain altitude in the winter time here anywhere right now, as Earth exists now, and you stuck your arm out there for seven minutes, it would probably freeze off. Yeah, sure. Um, but when it's all said and done, I I don't I don't detect hope at the end of the film. I think that if we if we perceive hope to be there, it's because that's what we would like to see there. What I'm really seeing is just a whole bag of uncertainty. Like everything can be blown to bits so easily from so many people that were well-meaning and not well-meaning. Like our hero, Curtis, turns out to not be the leader that he was striving to be, that he felt like he needed to be. And then we just saw how he it didn't turn out. It didn't all work out for the revolt. Well, yeah, so, you know, I, 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 I'm going to take it one step further. What Joe's saying before I forget what he was saying is that not only is there uh, little hope, not there's no hope. Like like there is there's not a a chance that these two people that that survived the train wreck are going to survive. Like this is the end of humanity. There is no hope. There is n- there is nothing left in this movie. They live to die another day, probably. <laughs> No, no, certain, most certainly, most certainly. Man, they kill that bear. They can eat for like weeks and weeks and weeks. And they're going to the, kill they the bear. They can live how? inside its innards, like in Star Wars. Yeah. How are so. they going to kill the bear, Fizz? They have little pieces of train. They they just got to wait for the snow speeders pick them up. <laughs> but yeah. you know, I, I do think that the ending of that movie is supposed to suggest something you know symbolically more than literally and the movie Mm -hmm. as a whole is operating on kind of a metaphorical level but going back to joe what you were saying about uh you know the chris evans character and his efforts turning out to be fruitless in the end sort of backfiring on him i think there's kind of a beautiful heartbreaking parallel to what had happened in this fictional world as a whole before everybody got on the train you know they talk about at the beginning uh, basically, they had been concerned about climate change and global warming and so on and so forth. And so in an effort to combat that, they created this stuff to cool the world, but it backfired and wound up killing everybody, you know. And you've got in in microcosm, again, a smaller scale version of that sort of thing. Uh, you've got uh, Wilford and these wealthy people, you know, oppressing humanity on this train. And it's such horrible living circumstances for most of the people who are on the train. And so... Curtis, you know, and his comrades sort of come up with an effort to combat that, and it backfires. And again, you know, a well-intentioned effort to save everybody ends up killing almost everybody. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's kind of a sad but thought-provoking commentary on, on human nature and, uh, you know, uh, the many failures that we have. Well, Joe, you said something earlier in the show when you were first talking about your disappointments with this film about how it was picturing humanity at its worst. And then that was, that was one of the things you had against the film. And that to me is not so much a problem because I, I fully believe in the total depravity of man. And I have no problem believing that man could be this evil. That That's not the issue for me. The issue is, as I said, one of, of no hope. I'm just not seeing it guys. Um, I, I don't see the hope that you guys are seeing or, or whatever at the end. Like, like there is, there is nothing about this film that, that has any hint of redemption, which I think is a, a vital part of any good story is redemption. And I don't, I don't see any redemption in this film. Well, there is the fascination that we have with the story in a, in a way that going back to the appreciation that Clark and, you know, uh, it is it, what y'all are saying, guys, uh, it makes me think that. There is this flip side of the coin that if this were a classic episode of the Twilight Zone that I had watched in the past, you know, I I totally like the Twilight Zone, and I, it feels like this is uh, the Twilight Zone today, put on you know w- with a huge budget. 
put together. And I, for if I look at it that way, I can appreciate it a lot more because like I said, it reminds me of some of my nightmares and it's, you know, <laughs> for, for odd reasons, you know, we can still glean something that we can really appreciate from the strangest of things. And, you know, it's not all bad when you look back at what, what does this communicate to me? And I gather well, something from it. And, you know, and I, well, I do think there are, are faint traces of hope at the end. I don't think it's ultimately supposed to be a hopeful film. I think it's supposed to leave you, you know, contemplating the awfulness of humanity and our, our tendencies to, you know, do terrible things to each other when circumstances allow it. Uh, I, I think that's really some of what it's it's driving at. And, you know, if you can allow me to get just a tiny bit pretentious sure, <laughs> for a moment here. Of course. If you look at it from, I guess, sort of a bigger cosmic perspective i suppose um it's suggesting hope for the planet at the very least if not for humanity that this horrible system that just you know chewed people up and spit them out is at the very least broken and done with and life on earth in some form even if it's just polar bears can continue perhaps yeah i'm really excited about the life of the polar I, know, bears. I know i know i know and as a human <laughs> that's a pretty bleak perspective for me personally the only the, but, the only sentient being on the planet and we don't get to survive i'm so excited i know but but the movie is also suggesting you know we're bringing this on ourselves um well, and i think that's ultimately what it wants us to think about is yeah. as opposed to you know we could survive this sort of scenario i don't think that's what it's trying to drive home it's it's really trying to get us as a lot of great science fiction does to sort of reconsider our ways in the world we actually live in so it's really the anti gene roddenberry <laughs> well well i mean roddenberry was doing things from a different perspective he was taking a more optimistic approach and i mean uh, showing us through how beautiful he thought the world could be, how stupid we were being in the present. But, you know, there's validity to that approach, and there's validity to taking the other way, too, which a lot of science fiction has done, is to show us how awful things can get if we don't change. Yeah. And how willing people are uh, to put up with inhumanity just to, con- just to continue their comforts or their, their, self- their self-centeredness. Right, just to survive will allow all yeah. kinds you of... You do have to wonder, problems. though, how many people on the train that were in those mid-section cars that were, you know, living it up, enjoying the, the, the music and the partying and the, the baths and the meth and whatever else it was that they were, whatever their alternative to meth was. You have to wonder if they even knew about the people in the back cars. I mean, that's kind of a side point, but... Well, and, you know, it might have been a situation where they, they knew, but they just didn't really want to think about it that much, like, you know, uh, on a different... and. Uh, Granted, very different example, how we here in America live in relative comfort and maybe don't think so much about the people who are suffering in third world countries to a huge degree. We know they're there, but, you know, uh, are we going to sacrifice all of our modern comforts just to help them? Uh, maybe not, you know. Yeah. And, and I think there's, as in a lot of sci-fi, there's those parallels there to the real world that you can think about. Yeah, but there are people who do, and there was nothing like That's that true. going on in this film. That's true. You know. And that would have added yet another layer of complexity had that been there. But at the same time, you only have two hours to tell this story. True. And Mm -hmm. there's only, you know, someone. And the the movie was doing so many things already. Okay. Well, I kind of got got sidetracked. I never finished my my opening list (laughs) of things. No, it was my fault. I actually got sidetracked. So um, let me just run down this real quick here. And then, Fizz, I'll I'll jump back to you. But um, uh, I, I was disappointed in this film in that it was original but it was original garbage <laughs> um it left me with more answers 
uh, more, more, excuse me, more questions than answers. Um, it felt to me like it was, uh, its approach was, was, in a, in a sense, condoning or perpetuating, not condoning, but kind of perpetuating this idea of class warfare, which we don't want. But it's like, you can't escape it. This is the way it is, and that's kind of what it is. Um, the characterizations uh, of the of many of the characters were cartoonish and garish, uh, <clears throat> Tilda Swinton. Um, the, oh. m- most characters were thin and underdeveloped, uh, with the exception of Chris Evans. Um, and, and uh, I don't know, Wilford, maybe. Um I felt like the film would have benefited from being longer. Uh, it felt like it's like, oh, well, we've reached the end of our allotted time, so we'll just sort of chop it off. We have more story to tell, but it's we're done. Um, I found the whole thing with the guns not being loaded confusing. Who, when were the guns loaded? When were they not? Who died? Who actually died? Who had bullets? And whoa, what what what, what just happened? Did, did, who who did die? You know, I, I don't know. I found that really frustratingly confusing. Um, and uh, speaking of the global warming thing that we're talking about, I'm not sure what this movie has to say about global warming. I, I know what my position on the issue is. I don't know what this movie's position on the issue is, and I wanted to know. Like, on the one hand, you've got people trying to do something about global warming, but they end up hurting the planet. Like, they are, end up freezing the planet instead of helping it. Like, what What are they saying? What? what I don't know. I, 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 I don't think the movie's I don't think particularly they're concerned about global warming. I mean, it, it's yeah. more interested in saying something about humanity and what we do as opposed to what the planet's doing. Yeah, I agree. I agree, yep. too. Yeah, yeah, and I just Clark's found it frustrating and confusing. Go ahead. Well, um, actually, Fizz, you were trying to say something, and I, I cut, cut you off because I've, I've I've been wanting to get that out there for a while. <laughs> so I, I I took over the show and and cut you off, and and uh, now what well, must... is your show? You're entitled. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, Fizz. Tell us what you um, had to say, and then we'll come back to you, Joe. Well, well, that, that's the. It's interesting hearing what you have to say, TJ, because the the fact that you're saying it leaves you with more questions than answers. I would actually say the film was a success. Uh, like I said, that's that's what I think really good sci-fi has the ability to do that few other genres do. I need to clarify. And, I don't think that a film cannot leave you with questions. Some of the best films, some of my favorite films leave you with questions. But I felt like this film answered no questions, and I really don't like that. I, I really, well, I think it – well, I think it, it raised a really big, great question because to me, Snowpiercer is, is – like they took the concept, and I think The Matrix is a really good uh, – correlation here because the entire um do you take the blue pill or do you take the red pill i think that's basically like a really like the snow is a really long version of that one little concept and ultimately uh what is it what wilford is saying exactly what cypher said in the matrix when he's like ultimately ignorance is bliss um and he, he's applying that to everybody in the back of the car and I love the fact that the, the movie's saying, just like The Matrix says, it's more dangerous to wake up. Um, you know, you're probably going to live with a polar bear or for very not, not much longer. But, you know, do you want to get out of the system or do you want to keep just going along? And like I said, I thought that was really resonant to me. It's one of the, my favorite things about it. Um, and you can go to Joe now. Actually, no, I want Joe. I think you wanted this. Were you going to tell everyone why this movie took like an extra year to come out? No, no, no. I don't know. Uh, I, I was going to tell everybody. Um, oh, Clark was. Okay. Sorry. If I could. Um, yeah. Cause I know, but someone else said they wanted to, and I want to defer. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, this, this movie came out overseas and it was supposed to come out, uh, domestically as well. And, uh, Harvey Weinstein, sort of uh, editor-in-chief that he is, decided that he wanted to cut 20 minutes from this movie. 
And the director didn't want that. Uh, the rest of the filmmakers didn't want that. But Harvey Weinstein said, well, if you want to get a wide release and a big release and a big marketing campaign and all of that, you have to let me chop off 20 minutes. Ultimately, they decided not to do that. He didn't chop off 20 minutes, but because he was upset about not being allowed to release his cut of the movie into theaters, uh, he released it in a very limited number of theaters with essentially no marketing. I mean, you didn't see a lot of trailers That's in true. theaters or on TV for this film. It, it was just kind of yeah. unceremoniously dumped into a few theaters. And that's part of why it did so well overseas and didn't do well here. I think with a, a good marketing campaign, uh, this could have easily been a pretty, you know, at least a minor box office hit. You could string together a, a pretty terrific trailer from the stuff that exists in the movie. But uh, Harvey Weinstein ultimately felt that if he couldn't cut the movie and have it the way he wanted it, that he just wasn't going to let many people see it. And that was that. Um, really, I don't see we... what you could have cut from this movie, though. I mean, I can't imagine yeah. taking 20 minutes out of what's no, there. It's want... very tight, you know. I movie. wanted 20 more minutes <laughs> to, 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 to help the film help me like it. And I mean, it's not over long. <laughs> it's just, just a hair over two hours, I believe. So, you know. It's yeah. not like it's going to bore people. I did not you know, feel like it was long forever. by any stretch. Of the, you know, I, it's it wasn't like Transformers or anything where I thought, oh my gosh, when is this movie ever going to be over? It wasn't like that. It's just like when we got to the end. The reason I decided I hated it so much is because it ended like abruptly, almost to me. Yeah, but Harvey Weinstein sort of has a bad reputation for kind of underestimating American audiences and sure. thinking that. And, and I mean, I guess there's some substance to this, but he seems to feel that. American moviegoers are dumb and impatient, and you need to just cut to the chase as quickly as possible. Wait, and wait, he's where wanted was, to cut where, down a lot of stuff that he's released. In a Transformers culture, where was your problem with his line of thinking? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but at the same time, Transformers <laughs> got almost three hours. So surely, you know, two hours for Snowpiercer. But my point is, his assessment of the market seems to be spot on, and he's nothing if not a businessman. So It is, but at the same time, the market for a movie like Snowpiercer is different from the market for a movie like Transformers, True. and I don't think that he's acknowledging that. True. He was trying to make it a, a, a bigger, broader market thing, I guess. Right. And this this movie, I mean, it's very much trying to, to fit a square peg in a round hole. This movie just won't be that, ever. Okay. Well, I want to make sure that you guys are, are getting the, you know, because ultimately on the Movie Bite podcast, I want to have a much... Uh, more uh, a leaning towards liking stuff than than lambasting stuff. And so, if you guys have things that you feel like you haven't talked about that you really liked about this film, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about those. Um, so, so Clark, what do you, do you have anything more? Uh, yeah, I, I do want to say I, I I don't know if it was you or Joe. I forget. Somebody took a pot shot at Tilda Swinton not I, too long I ago. Did. Okay, I thought she was fantastic. Man, what what a terrifically original performance she delivered in this movie. Uh, Agreed. Th th this is a character who who could have seemed so just embarrassingly awkward she in the did, hands of the though. wrong actor. But no, she didn't. She was she her comic timing was just so fantastic. I was always enamored with her uh, every time she appeared on screen. She was so fascinating and this weirdly compelling combination of frightening and funny simultaneously. Enamored is not the right word for me. I think horrified would have been a better choice of words. Well, she, I mean, she is horrifying. She is, but she's also uh, hilarious and magnetic and charismatic and terrifying and all these things all in one. Joe, um, I, 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 I thought it was a the same fantastic movie. performance. I really did. 
I and I will really agree. And that was one of the things that kind of jarred me all throughout and going back to sort of the, the experience of something out of a nightmare. You know how sometimes in a nightmare you can just see people doing things in the nightmare that they would never do in real life. People you really know, they would do something really crazy in the nightmare. And for that reason, they can seem very charismatic, yet also very insane. <laughs> and, and then you come back to reality and you're like, well, I'm so glad that wasn't real life. And that kind of came up for me a couple of times in this film. For instance, it surprised me just how violent everybody was considering how little experience they had with hand-to-hand combat and fighting and bloodbaths and, you know, uh, you know, war, the concept of just being face to face and stabbing each other to death. Well, and, and you know, that, uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. Um, ahead, no. no, I was just yeah. going to say that that's something that I think kind of reflects uh, the fact that this is made by a director from South Korea. It feels more like uh, a lot of South Korean movies in this very sort of visceral, personal violence um, that, that's kind of surprising at, at times. I was startled, especially the first few times, by just how um, intensely violent this movie could be. It certainly was. Yeah. And, I suppose and- it reminded anybody else of the raid to a certain degree, did it? Do you want to see the raid besides me? Yeah, I saw the raid. I, I can see where you're coming from a little. It's certainly less action centric than that, but especially yeah, like yeah, in yeah. the sort of uh, the act scene, uh, it felt you know like something in that territory. Surprisingly visceral. Yes. And, and I will say, I, I hope it, I hope I made it clear. At two out of five, there was there was a lot of things that I did like about this film, and I wanted to give it a higher rating if it hadn't been so depressingly, alarmingly hopeless. For awesome. Me. Um, uh, <laughs> depressingly awesome. What? <laughs> uh, you, <laughs> you're, you're, where you took my words didn't work, man. Um, so, so, but at two out of five, like there were merits to the film that I, I did enjoy. Um, and, and, and especially Chris Evans's performance, uh, which I found to be fantastic. Um, there was not a hint of Captain America in his performance, which is good. Um, and, and I did like John Hurt's performance, although the end of the film calls into question everything I liked about John Hurt, right? I, I don't know. Did I like him? Did I not like him? Uh, you know, again, I, I thought that Ed Harris played a, a, a very good uh, portrayal of the character. I just don't know ultimately what his point uh, was, what he was trying to to do and, and, and what what made him think like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to tap uh, Curtis now to be the 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 leader of the train and to take over my position and I like like and 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 then like is that what he wanted what it was for Chris to blow up the train uh, I mean and Curtis to blow up the train I mean like I'm I'm so confused about that I, I don't think he wanted Curtis to blow up the train I'm sure that's not what he wanted but I think that he and John Hurt both essentially wanted the same thing which is uh, to keep the system running um you know and they were both ultimately working for the system in very different ways but when at the end of the film ed the ed harris character uh, wilford when he sees what's happening he sees that it's all about to end he says i can't remember exact words but he says something like fantastic or wonderful or marvelous or or something like that and i got the impression he was saying that sarcastically maybe i was um, me too that's the way i saw i don't know did anybody else have a feeling on that or hmm Hmm. I didn't get well, the sense I, the fantastic was like, oh, I'm so excited, my dream is coming true. Finally, yeah, I yeah, I, I'm agreeing with you, Clark. I, I kind of didn't, I didn't think he was being serious about it. I think he he assumed that if he put a choice between someone who was trying to make life better, I mean, because the entire reason that Curtis was up there, Chris Evans' character was up there, was to make life better. 
he would assume that that guy's passion and that heart, if he said, okay, you can stop me, but it will end all life on Earth. Or if you really want to make things better, you'll make the system keep going. I would assume that most people, and I think one of the things that the movie kind of points out, is that most people charged with that choice will choose to do something that they find repulsive to continue to survive. And, and he, he really he really played to Chris Evans' sort of sense of vanity, too, with the whole, you know, you've earned this. You worked for this. So you, you, yeah. you get to be better than everybody else because you worked so hard. But I feel like, like, was it the right choice to let the, like, to kill everybody? Like, you have the power now to take over the train and then to stop the nonsense that's going on. And, and you've already seen evidence that, the, that is getting warmer outside. Like, now mm. to just kill everybody right here and now, like, the whole thing just doesn't make, like, that, that's the stupidest that, thing I've ever that, heard That of. was Ed Harris's entire character. Ed Harris went up there and showed you that the train can only run one way. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not like, oh, Chris Evans or Curtis can't come up there and change the system. Curtis can only go up there and main and continue the system that is in place. They're still going to have to like get children to go do tasks until they grow too old and they die. I mean, like that, that like that's the kind of thing that's going to have to continue happening to some degree on this train. And that's the entire point. Now, given that the, you know, it's not 100% because again, it's kind of like a metaphor. So, you know, we're not we're not picking every single thing apart, but the concept is that he can't change things, even if he wanted to. And that's reflective of, you know, so many real life systems that are out there. If you remove all of the corruption instantly, a lot of things fall apart, uh, which is just a horrible reality, but a reality nonetheless. Yeah, and one that I don't actually advocate. No, no, and well, I, I don't it, either, but I, I don't think the movie does either. You know, even, but, even as a libertarian, I don't advocate the <laughs> removal of all the crud and the cruft in the system at once. I think that would be devastating. Right, and and I think that's you know part of what the movie is getting at. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Well, I, we'll leave it at that. I, going I really, to, well, no. going back to Ed Harris here, guys, for just a minute, I just have to say that like the moment he appeared to be Wilford, I, which I didn't realize he was going to be until I saw him, I just thought. The Truman Show. I was like, "Oh wow, he's Kristoff all over again." But it was just, very clever Topian casting. Future, sure. Yeah, I, I was. I thought that that was kind of. Uh, I, it's not even ironic. It's just something else. It's beyond ironic. It's it's very clever, very clever thing to have him in there in that kind of role. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. It seems like we've we've definitely established that this film has an incredible production quality. It had a great sense of direction. It has some phenomenal film craft. But what we really disagree on is the the themes of the film. It's sort of like we're going back to the inception problem here. Like, well, is that spin top going to fall over or is it not? And if you think it's going to fall, you think it's going to be a hor- you know, horrible film or something. I and don't know. I was much more stand, satisfied, gonna- though, with Inception. Yeah, but see, that's the thing is there, there's a lot of division where people just feel like, where does the film actually lie? Is it actually hopeful? Is everybody dead? Is everybody stuck in the dream? We don't know, you know. And so everybody debates that and love hates, you know, Christopher Nolan for it. And I feel like the more people who would see a film like this, that's sort of the reason that we actually find this to be a controversial and also impressive film is just how much it got under our skin for different reasons, and then. Uh, gave us different appreciations for it or detractions for it. Uh, so what exactly, though, 
is there something that we want to nail down that we actually can say, okay, here's an idea, guys. Uh, TJ, I think you and I need to clarify something we actually really liked in this film. And I think that Fizz and Clark need to clarify something they really disliked. Okay. How about that? Chris Evans. How about that? I really liked Chris Evans. Mm. Okay. Why? Uh, I've, I've thought that he did a fantastic job with the role that he was given. Mm. So it's not really the character. It's really the performance. Um, I mean, I like the character too, to a point, you know, mm, okay. mm. uh, something for me, I, I really appreciated was the very strong pacing of the film. And I know that we're going back to the things that we really like about the film craft here. And so I don't really want to do that. Um, I want to go back to something else more, uh, you know, like, uh, the metaphor, uh, if you will, that, uh, you know, fizz likes a whole lot. And I, and I can certainly see some of its, uh, good points in terms of metaphor. And part of me feels like it is a good morality tale for those kinds of reasons, but it's such a complicated one. I think that's, it's going to be a, a troubling, a, a stumbling block, if you will, for so many people really to digest this sort of film. Like you can, you can digest complicated good and evil when you're seeing something like Harry Potter, even if it feels like it's a little bit watered down and it's a little bit disappointing when it all, it's all said and done, like you feel like they started off really well, or maybe it was the middle of the movie series that they had hit the sweet spot. And maybe you feel it actually came to, at the end of the entire franchise with the battle between good and evil. But sometimes people disagree and they feel like the, the last few films kind of lose, lose it. And uh, they're more disappointing in the end. Uh, I feel like, this actually has some very powerful themes mm-hmm, so agreed. long as you know how to frame them. So long as, so long as you know what you're looking for and what you're prepared to get out of it. Otherwise it can just really be distorting to the the real world, like and your worldview and what you come away with it. You know, like, are you entertained by this film? Are you mainly looking at this film for its entertainment value? That would disturb me. Because if that's the case, then you walk away from this film and allow for its subtext to make impressions upon you that you're not prepared for and you're not really thinking through and you're not realizing how it may or may not be influencing your train of thought. Like, for instance, if you really absorb how much you're entertained by the film, then you are getting a little desensitized to this sort of violence and you appreciate things that they do in the film for their sensational value, like how they abused children and the bizarrity they have with uh, their special drug addiction to the, uh, to what, what was it? They called it the, um, the chromolones or something. Yeah. But you know, it was this very pathetic sort of drug addiction that they all have off of the, the uh, refuse from the train. And, uh, it, but even though it's fascinating, it's also really saddening. So are are you ready to acknowledge that this sort of thing should disgust you and disappoint you about the human race because these kinds of things are true? Really, man, is this deprived and put in this situation? None of us might, would necessarily be better than Curtis, the, the protagonist who kind of succumbs to the evil in the end. Or can you acknowledge that you're that fallen, you know, and if you can, then it's a very powerful thing. It's a very good thing. Um, I, I got really sidetracked there. I'm sorry. Just y'all are really <laughs> helping. Y'all are really see where you're going. Chill my thoughts. I, I do have a question for you, Joe. And really it's a question for all of you though. Do any of you feel like I do that 
the movie really has a couple of different kinds of violence. I think there is violence in the movie, uh, or at least action, which is meant to be entertaining, along with violence that's intended to be disturbing and unsettling. I very much agree. I yeah, very yeah. much agree. Yeah, I would agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you look at that, you look at that um, shootout sequence with the train sort of rounding a curve and the two guys firing at each other from like that almost a geometry themed action sequence. You know. Uh, I think that really is meant to be a pretty entertaining action scene. Although I and there were moments with certain villains where they really wanted you to hate that guy. And so you'd really love to see it when he actually falls down, you know? Right. Yeah. And I mean, uh, there, there are moments like in the scene when, uh, you yeah. know, uh, they start running up with the torches from the back of the train. I think that's supposed to be kind of a cool action movie sort of moment, but there's other stuff in there that's, you know, obviously supposed to be very unsettling and disturbing and troubling. I did find the whole rounding the bend and the action scene there uh, pretty implausible. I mean, the whole film's implausible, right? But <laughs> but this is pretty impl- – I mean, this is a train that goes around the entire world, and there's this one part of the track where it doubles back on itself, and A, um, that lasted way too long where they could see each other, and B, like <laughs> – it didn't take them any time then to walk up to the car they were just shooting at that had rounded the bend, and you got to figure there are many, many, many car links back in order to get that to work. Like that was just, that was a, that was weird. It didn't really work conceptually. I'm, I'm nitpicking, I suppose, but uh, yeah, you're you're supposed to be just highlighting the things you like, TJ. <laughs> I did. I already did. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I'm sorry. Did I, did I complete a, a, a complete idea of, of something I liked? Yeah, the pacing being really exceptional. That <laughs> Let me just clarify what I mean by that. I'm not just trying to throw it out there willy-nilly. I actually was impressed by the pacing in this film because for a very dark, serious, uh, action-driven sort of film, it was impressive how well they paced it and, uh, and also developed the characters along the way, like you were referring to earlier, Clark, that the pacing of the film, moving the narrative from the back of the train to the front of the train, how it, it afforded them the opportunity to have uh, these battles uh, that were all very unique and different when they were confronting different kinds of enemies throughout the train. And also to develop their characters and call into question, now how do we cope with the things that have just happened in the last 24 hours or however amount of time this all took place? And, you know, and it allowed it, the, that was a great it, pacing. It allowed the visual palette to evolve, too. The movie starts so grimy and dirty and then gets increasingly sort of lush and beautiful as they move to the swankier sections of the train. Which yeah, that was something that I liked. Yeah, I should mention. I was going to say, those are my favorite things. I should mention that I really enjoyed the production design of the film. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. But, uh, except for some of the visual effects, CGI stuff, uh, shots outside of the train. That what are you referring to? Fake, I didn't. But, I don't remember. Well, and I, again, I was watching it on a fairly small screen. I don't know what you all's viewing experience was, but I didn't find too much trouble with that. Okay, shots outside of the train sometimes looked like you know a video game to me, but mm. I don't remember seeing that, that like that. But uh, we were going to make Fizz and uh, Clark come up with things that they didn't like about the film. So let's let's move forward with that. Uh, Fizz, why don't you tell us what you didn't like about the film? Well, I guess it fell under what you were saying was nitpicking. I didn't really like the, them shooting at each other part of it. I mean, like conceptually, I thought it was cool, but in a film where I, f- I feel like like 90% of every action taken had purpose, right? Them them shooting at each other from really far away didn't really have as much purpose as I thought it could. And, and the fact that we, we had this near unstoppable bad guy that kept coming back that yeah. really didn't 
that didn't do a whole lot for me either. He, he, uh, he would be one of those paper thin characters I was referring to. Like he just keeps showing up, but we don't know why. And we don't know what his motivations are. We don't know what's going on and why he's doing it. You know, well, that's the thing. I, I didn't have a problem with why he was doing what he was doing. Like I, I knew like he was a henchman. I'm fine with henchmen being henchmen and me not having to go meet the henchman's wife and the henchman's kids <laughs> and understand that he gets up every morning and you know, click, you know, turns off his henchman alarm clock and puts on his best henchman suit. Like I don't need all that from a henchman. I just need a, I, his motivations were clear. The problem is I don't understand, you know, I'm, I'm- when you seem to kill someone that thoroughly, like, <laughs> While they're getting up and coming back to yeah, be that's an weird. antagonist. When it, you say henchman, seemed, I keep flashing back to where in the world is Carmen San Diego computer game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I just don't um I, I felt in a in a in a film that seemed to be really, really thought out, that seemed almost lazy. Yep. Um but like I said, I mean, if that's my biggest problem for the most part with this film. Okay. Oh, excuse me, Clark. Um, and again, I guess this is also kind of a nitpicky thing too, but, uh, I was disappointed with how poorly the film used Jamie Bell, who's such a fine young actor and a talented guy. And I really felt that he was sort of wasted in what was ultimately a throwaway part. And on top of that, miscast is a guy who's supposed to be 17 years old and looks considerably older than that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it, it, it just wasn't convincing. So he, he was, uh, I mean, I'm sure he did everything he could with the part, but that was a little bit of a disappointment for me after seeing how good he could be in other roles. But um, again, it's, it's a relatively minor issue. I, I, I can't think of anything that I really like intensely disliked about the movie. They're just little, you know, teeny <laughs> tiny things here and there. Hence your rating. Or, y- yes. Um, Yet to be undisclosed rating. Well, we're, let's, the to let's, be undisclosed rating. Let's bring it in for landing and let's uh, disclose those and let's talk about our final thoughts. Um, I, I give the film two out of five stars because Ultimately, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Like, there were some things that were redeeming, some things that I enjoyed. I don't mean there was redemption in the plot. I mean, in terms of redeeming it as far as watching it, just to be clear. Um, I, 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 I definitely think there were, there were things that were enjoyable about the film, but ultimately, because the story didn't, for me, didn't go anywhere and didn't have anything to offer, um, I, uh, oh, wait, wait, Fizz, come on, what are we doing here? He's, he's typing in the show outline slightly better than transformers <laughs> yeah i mean i kind of feel that way uh obviously it is better than transformers but um yeah it's it's just not a film that i can recommend because i really didn't enjoy it um <laughs> uh joe joe please please tell us your star rating and and what you what you would tell people who want to see this film Okay, well, the big reveal—you know, this is Snowpiercer. I give half a star because it, uh, a world of really good filmmaking craft cannot make a good movie out of a nightmare. You know, it, it's I—I uh, I think that it, it is very tantalizing, and it raises all kinds of interesting points about the depravity of man. But then when it's all over, you're just going to be really depressed, really impressed by how depressed you can get in two hours. And, you know, hey, if you love originality so much that you want to see the darkest hole on Earth because it's the darkest hole and you've never seen a hole that dark before, (laughs) you know, you can go find one. (laughs) (laughs) So it gets it gets half a star. Okay, Clark. 
On the flip side of the spectrum, um, I give this movie <laughs> five stars out of five. And if you could give it five and a half, you would. Well, no, uh, I, I'm content with a simple five stars, okay. with a humble five stars. But um, I will say, uh, if you're looking for just a pleasant, fun two hours of the movie, Snowpiercer is not the movie for you. It's not that kind of movie. However, if you are looking for a movie to challenge you, for a movie that will really make you think, for a movie that has actual complexity and isn't just pretending at complexity for a movie that's genuinely superbly crafted, and for a movie that will show you things you've never seen before and deliver a level of creative originality which is all too rare in today's ultra-dull, derivative movie climate, go see Snowpiercer. It's one of the best films of the year. Okay, there you go. And, Fizz, what people really want to know, because you keep a running tally of these things, is how my star rating compares to that of Transformers <laughs> or RoboCop, for instance. Like I, said, um, I just want to keep things in context, you know? <laughs> like, if, if Thank uh, you, humanity, this is great. humanity is like 100% depraved in TJ's view because they go see Transformers, Snowpiercer is only a half a star better than total human depravity. No, but, but, but I don't, I don't put, you know, my star rating aside, <laughs> I don't put that in the same, like, if you go see Transformers, you really are what's wrong with this with this planet. If you go see this movie, I don't feel that way about you. Because you're half a star better. No, it has nothing that has nothing to do with star rating. It has, so, it has to do with this film being original and Transformers, we know what kind of dreck we have there, and we know that we're perpetuating the problem. In this, I don't feel like you're perpetuating a problem by seeing something that's so original. Despite the fact that my so I've separated it from my star rating and that I don't like it as a film, but I would still see it on the on that in that it's original and worth seeing in that context. Well, and in fairness, I think star ratings are so are limiting, and I and I see what you're saying, TJ, and I think that if you give a say a three star rating to a Transformers movie, and then you give a three star rating to something like the Grand Budapest Hotel. I don't think you're necessarily saying that those two movies are the same exactly. because, in terms of quality because they're trying to do different things and each movie has to be reviewed on its own terms. So I think the star rating is more indicative of how well the movie succeeds at what it specifically is trying to do. Yes. Uh, and, and, and it's a very personal opinion kind of thing. Like, I don't, That's I don't, true too. You know, I might give you a hard time, but I don't really fault you for, for giving it five stars because for you, that movie – mean something that to me it doesn't and so the star ratings are very personal right um, and i mean and, for joe i mean i can't fault anybody for giving half a star to a movie that felt like a nightmare that they wouldn't have seen if they had been told it would be like a nightmare for them i mean that's perfectly legitimate <laughs> it really is when uh, uh when dan benjamin was on the podcast many episodes ago and we talked about uh uh just by coincidence the wrath of Khan, um he uh he was uh he found it ponderous ponderous that I would rate The Wrath of Khan so highly, and yet uh, he asked for my star rating on something like Spielberg's, um, uh, what was his World War II movie? Uh, why is it my brain? Saving Private Ryan. No, 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 no. Black and white, black and white. Um, Schindler's List. Schindler's List, thank you. My, my brain is just some, sometimes. Uh, yeah, so he found it odd that I would give Schindler's List a slightly lower star rating than something like, uh, the Wrath of Khan, and, th- and I think that that shows the weakness of the star rating system because, on the grand scale of things, I would say the Schindler's List or Schindler's List is a much more important film. But I still don't rate it as highly because that's such a personal thing. Your star rating. So anyway, that's yeah. kind of a side note. Uh, it, there is a weakness in that system. I completely agree. Fizz, uh, please, please explain to us uh, your incorrect opinion. No, I'm sorry, I just, that's <laughs> what I had to. Please explain to us your opinion. Uh, what you would tell somebody in your star rating. 
Wait, so we're allowed? I'm allowed to finish my star rating now, TJ. Yes. Are you, are you done? Yes. yes, I'm done. Okay, because I don't think you interrupted anyone else for like ten minutes well, in their had, star rating. But I hadn't actually let you start your star rating. I asked you to give an evaluation of me. Remember, I didn't. So now I'm asking oh. you for your star rating. Oh no, this is one of my favorite parts of being on the show, TJ. Um, so much like TJ pointed out earlier, I think. Uh, you take that one step farther when, when you're talking about an original film. And I think sci-fi or speaking sci-fi, we as fans have been incredibly lucky to have two really good sci-fi original films come out this year. And I would highly recommend Snowpiercer. Um, basically everything that Clark said, just pretend I'm saying it cause he said it better than I can. So with that said, I would give it only four out of five stars, but I would probably be leaning really heavily to four and a half out of five stars. Um, but since I can't get 4.25 stars cause TJ has forbade it. Um, it's, it's a then, 10 point scale. Come on. Uh, I know, I know. So, like I said, four, four, leaning to four and a half, but not quite there. Um, I, you know, it wasn't a perfect film, but as far as original sci-fi goes, I don't. I guess technically you could say it technically came out last year, so it's not a 2014 original sci-fi film. But you know, w- when you talk about what this film does in comparison to like Elysium or something like that, oh it doesn't try to. It doesn't try to give you an answer. It doesn't try to tell you, you know, the right way to, you know fix a dystopian future. It just raises a lot of questions. And I love when uh, sci-fi does that. It reminded me of a lot of my favorite sci-fi films from history. And I think unless you've kind of got a perspective like Joe's coming from, where you don't want to look at the worst humanity has to offer, um, which I think is completely valid, then I think you really enjoy this film. I think the vast majority of people who enjoy the dystopian genre or like I said, original sci-fi stuff will get a lot out of this film. Okay. So Fizz, what was the other film that you said was really good or you brought it up that there was two really good sci-fis. What's the other one this year? Oh, edge of tomorrow. Okay. I the, thought that the original, the, the original. Yeah. Kind of original ish. Nice. Yeah. I Ori- seen yeah it well, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, te- technically both of them are, are based on novels or, uh, that's true. Uh, graphic that's true. novels. So it's not like they're, you know, they're original screenplays, but as far as for like what we're seeing in a world of sequels and, you know, the third, fourth, fifth in a series of movies uh, or, you know, remake, rehash, you know, whatever, it's, it's refreshing and they are uh, fresh material. Yeah. And I I think, I think, I think we've been, we've been very lucky, like I said, as sci-fi fans. So I I would imagine if you really enjoyed Edge of Tomorrow, you'd probably enjoy this for slightly different reasons. Um, But uh, I, I, we just don't get this very often. Uh, I think, and, and have it be good. You know, last year we got Oblivion. It was okay. Uh, We got, we got, we got got Elysium. Uh, I thought it was okay. You know, lots of people didn't really like it. So, you know, we, we, I thought there were kind of like two swings and misses last year. Um, so this year I think we've, I think we've got two, two pretty good yeah, offerings. That's a good the point. last time I really, I really felt like this about a sci-fi movie was a few years ago with moon. Um, I don't know if any of you liked that movie as much as I did, but it was another one that just felt like an entirely sort of original vision, um, that had some really interesting things to say. 
Yeah, and it's, it's interesting to note that Snowpiercer is at 94% on the tomato meter. The critics have all united and agree that uh, I am wrong and that Joe is wrong and that this movie is fantastic. And the audience is at 77%, so there's a little bit of disparity there, but but uh, not. I mean, it's like not like the audience hated it either, the, the ones that have seen it and reviewed it on Rotten Tomatoes anyway. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, I think that's a wrap for our Snowpiercer review. So... Um, Fizz, where can people keep up with your work now that you have if, – if, if people agree with you, they'll tend to want to keep up with your, your work. And, and uh, you know, even though I don't agree with you, I still like to keep up with your stuff. So tell us about that. Well, that's because uh, over at realworldtheology.com, that's R-E-E-L, worldtheology.com, we're not so much concerned about giving movies star ratings as much as we are just examining the narrative themes of the movies. So it's less of a who's right and who's wrong and more just like – really taking a look at the narratives that are influencing our culture. So if that sounds interesting to you, then go over to that website. You can see how you can get a hold of the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher and all that stuff. You can follow me at Physification on Twitter or at Real World Theo um, for the, the show updates. Do you have this film on the docket? Because it feels like there's a lot of material here for you to review on a, on a show like that. Yes, we'll be recording the episode on this show next Tuesday, I believe. Cool. I'm, so I'm, it, it it should be out at the it should be the uh, the the fil- the podcast that's out at the end of the month. Cool. I I'm looking forward to that because I feel like there is a lot of material here to talk. Oh, about. there's so much here. Yeah. Um. All right, Clark. Where can people find your uh, wonderful work that you do? Well, there are a couple of options. The first is to hire a private investigator, but that's impractical <laughs> and expensive. Yes. So the better option would just be to go to dvdverdict.com. Um, myself, along with quite a few others who write for that site, write DVD and Blu-ray reviews there. I also have a podcast there, The Sounds and Sights of Cinema, about movie music. Um, oh, and if I can just say really quick, Marco Beltrami's score for this movie. Very good stuff. But um, anyway, that's uh, where they can find me. Yeah, you're, you're a fan of Marco Beltrami, aren't you? I am. I am. Yeah. He, he, in, Wait, in, did you say you had a Twitter? I don't have a Twitter. I ought to, but I don't. Oh, I was going to write a follow you. That makes me sad. But that's different. <laughs> different, different, different. Well, somebody who does have a Twitter, Joe, where, where can people keep up with you there? <laughs> there and other places. On Twitter, I'm underscore Joe Darnell, and you can also find me at joedarnell.com. And every now and then I pop up with some kind of movie review or opinion piece on moviebyte.com. Yeah, and you're getting ready uh, to revive Movieology, which will be on MovieByte, but you're also doing an independent site about uh, uh, a uh, – I believe you were doing a Tumblr on Movieology, right? Well, I actually grew out of the Tumblr while in the process of building the site. So I was really happy with it for about a week, and then I moved on. Uh, Tumblr would just I found to be very limiting. So I'm back on Squarespace where I can really unpack a very full-fledged site, and it's going to have a lot of features I've always wanted to have for movieology that really uh, matter a lot to me. And I'm trying to really take the production values uh, up several notches because we were really just kidding around you know, with the – First, uh, I, I like to think like to think of them as pilot episodes of the audio podcast of Movieology, and uh, we got a good response from them. But but I think we can do way better. So we're going to make something that feels a little bit more cohesive and more. Uh, I, I don't want to say engaging, but I really hate that word. So hopefully, it'll just be more delightful. Delightful. That's a good word. Well, we're we're all looking forward to more movieology. We've been I've been sad that you guys haven't been producing more, and and I want there to be more podcasts on the site. So it's exciting to me. Thank you. 
All right. Well, that's it for us this week. Next week, we're going to be talking about a most wanted man for uh, Clark's final episode filling in for Chad. Uh, is, that's what we'll be talking about as a most wanted man. And then after that, we'll welcome Chad back and we'll be sad to see Clark go. But he, I understand he has family duties. Uh, it's a thing, you know. Yeah, and, you know, um, I, I wouldn't want to stay all the way until episode 100 because that would be so mainstream. So, you know, I prefer to stick in the 90s here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's... Before the show becomes truly iconic. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. We are approaching episode 100, and I'm trying to figure out what we're going to do about that because I hear you're supposed to have cake and popcorn and, and all kinds of stuff, but we'll, we'll see. I but maybe not while you're talking. That might be a little uncomfortable for well, the audience. I mean, what's wrong with that? <laughs> just tell That's them true. there'll be punch and pie everyone will come if there's punch and pie <laughs> uh-huh. alright well um, so if you want to find uh, the show notes for this episode they are at moviebite.com slash mbpodcast slash 98 because this is our 98th episode and that's where you'll find all the links for the things that we talked about all those goodies and all that good stuff uh, and if you want to uh, find us in iTunes and give us a rating that would be most welcome you would you would you would make my day by doing that if I anytime I go to see go to iTunes and see new ratings and reviews I just I, I I just jump for joy so please do that if you are so inclined if you enjoyed the show and uh, look forward to us talking about a most wanted man it's one of um, one of the final films of uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman so uh, that will definitely that's that's the reason it got on the radar I think as much as anything and so we'll be interested to see that and see how that's how that turned out and I know Clark you're looking forward to that as well I really am yep all right well uh, stay tuned for that we'll be back next week uh, the show will be out on Wednesday morning next week instead of the early release we're getting for this episode which is Tuesday uh, it'll be coming out tomorrow morning so stay tuned for that and until then we'll see you all next time uh, thanks for listening thanks guys for being here good night good night goodbye. Oh,